feel like I've, I've, I've done something wrong. Have I offended? Did, did listening what? for that long just take sap oh, the strength gosh. out of you? I shouldn't have brought it up. I'm, I, I'm, I feel terrible now. No, you know, just never in my life have I been so strong-armed into listening to a podcast. Oh, jeez. That's and not fair. First, the, the Supergirl one. I just wanted your opinion on the Supergirl. And you're like, well, you should listen to this podcast. Okay, that was kidding with you there. Okay. I totally okay, didn't mean that. You didn't listen to that anyway, right? Oh, yeah. I did. You did not. Yes, I did. You're not supposed to listen. <sighs> all right. <laughs> no, it was all entertaining we, and fun. You should never take anything I say seriously. You should know that by now. Well, you know, it did get me interested in your cast, you know, because it's a cast and not a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but then I was like, oh, man, there are over 100 episodes here. How can I ever no, catch you, up? You wouldn't enjoy it. It's just me uh, quite frequently saying she's hot. So it's not really, yeah. You called. did say that a couple times. I do. It's, it's. I told you. I warned you. Like, when you first invited me to be on your show, I was like, you know, you know who I am, right? And you're like, oh, <laughs> you're that guy who helps Michael Bailey, right? I'm like, no, I'm this guy. I'm this lecherous thing. <laughs> lecherous thing. Yeah. Well, Anyway. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, Boy Wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusaders. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. So good to me, I know, but I can't change Tried to tell you, but you look at me like maybe I'm an angel underneath Innocent and sweet Yesterday I cried You must have been relieved to see the softer side I can understand how you'd be so confused I don't envy you I'm a little bit of everything I'll roll into one I'm a bitch, I'm a lover, I'm a child I'm a mother, I'm a sinner, I'm a saint I do not feel ashamed I'm your hell, I'm your dream I'm nothing in between You know you wouldn't want it any other way So take me as I am So what's me? I'm your host, Stella, and this is Batgirl the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 101 for June MMXV. Batgirl the Oracle is brought to you by this public service announcement. Slow down! I can hardly see! Look out! A car! Are you boys okay? Red alert! I didn't see ya! 
And I couldn't see you. No wonder. You don't have reflectors. They tell drivers where you are. I see what you mean. Remember, if you have to ride when it's getting dark, have the right equipment. And wear bright clothes. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. The Transformers. Backworld the Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are September's Batgirl number 44 and Gotham Academy number 10, both for $2.69. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Batgirl the Oracle is a proud member of the Batman Universe family of podcasts. Hashtag TBU family. Well... Hello there. It's been, it seems like it's been a long time. I guess it's because I had been really slaving away and working on that episode 100 that when I finally put it out, I could breathe a sigh of relief. I hope you all enjoy that. It certainly, it took a long time to put that together and just to think up ideas of, you know, what can I be doing? And of course, great big thanks go out to Brian Q. Miller and Richard Stoneless, who of course came on and gave a helping hand to me and just a lot of fun and it was great to do that look back and it was just great so thank you uh, for downloading and supporting this podcast for 100 episodes and and here's to another 100 well before i get into the issues of course i have a special guest on this episode i've got some listener email mail Here's the mail, it never fails It makes me want to wag my tail When it comes, I want to wail First up from Hugo, he says, Hello Stella, thank you again for the entertaining podcast you put out time and time again. And by the time you get this email, your 100th episode should be out, so congratulations on that achievement. I look forward to listening to it. A couple of comments from past episodes. You mentioned that you hope listeners would not mind when you talk about your life in the podcast. Most of the best podcasters that I listen to always bring a little of themselves, and your stories are insightful and sometimes hilarious. The story about your house guests and the outcome was classic. Except for the shots you had to take, not a big fan of needles. And your explanation of Dragon Ball Z was very thorough.
champion to the Grand Tour. Dragon Ball GT! Of course, since he kept a straight face, and I've never seen the show, I thought it was true until I made a comment to my 15-year-old son, and he started laughing. Pokemon, well played. And the shows where you have guests over are always funny. Your laugh is so funny and infectious, and having your boyfriend and the other guy guest on your show is always welcome. And keep the bloopers coming. Lastly, thank you for bringing back Shipper Spotlight. Is Kimberly coming back too? Please? Sorry for the long diatribe again, and hopefully by my next email, I'll be caught up and can comment on your more recent episodes. Keep up the good work. Fly on, Stella. Well, Hugo, thanks for writing in and your comments, of course. And yes, 100 is out, so I look forward to you listening to that and commenting because some of your questions are answered. Kimberly does, in fact, pop up, as well as a little Bubba Moose action. It's funny you're talking about having your boyfriend in little quotations. And I wonder, Hugo, which one do you mean? Because there are so many men that come on these shows, of course. Uh, I assume you mean Donovan, though. You know, it could also be uh, could be Josh. Yeah, I love my guests. Uh, I think it's been really fun and insightful to have people on that have different strengths than I do. You know, I know some things about Superman, but to bring Michael Bailey on and, you know, during an episode that... Clark Kent and Barbara Gordon are in an issue together. It's great to have that interaction with someone that knows that. Uh, the same with Shag, who's been on a couple times, and he'll be on again this one, just that he has a knowledge base that is different from mine. So it's great to, to have a conversation and, and learn things, and I'm learning things, and hopefully listeners are learning things. So I'm glad you're enjoying the guests. And then he's got a P.S. I missed that. I've just listened to your last Shipper special, and even though I listened to all of it, I still understood nothing. Fun times. I assume you are talking about uh, Uran High School Host Club. And, yeah, without knowing what the anime is about, it is a little tough to go through that, which I assume was kind of like Robotech, though I believe Robotech probably has a bigger fan base than Uran does. But uh, it's just a wacky and zany show. And I think that's probably the reason why you didn't understand what was going on, because frankly, me telling it to anyone, they would not know what was happening. But uh, I'm hopeful that the next shipper special that Donovan and I do, you will understand, because hopefully it will be comic or DC-based. I always like to go back and forth. Next up from Mike Staley. I just finished episode 99, and as is usually the case, I very much enjoyed it. After the debacle of the previous episode's guest hosts, it was nice to have you back again. As far as the sex and comics thing goes, first I'll say I'm also a Dick Babs guy myself. One of the examples you and Shag brought up, however, brought back bad memories. I'm referring to Catwoman number one from the start of the New 52. I apologize ahead of time because this is not a pleasant subject, but I truly feel Catwoman raped Batman in that story. It's always been my opinion that if someone says no, but the other person continues to press on until they finally go along with it, that is not consent, so that story bothered me a great deal. On to happier subjects, I continue to enjoy your synopsis of the current Batgirl and Gotham Academy books. Aside from you, I also get a monthly synopsis from the DCR podcast, and I love getting different looks at the same book. Keep up the great work, and congrats on reaching 100 episodes, which you'll probably have passed by the time anyone hears this if you choose to read it on air, LOL. Well, Mike, first of all, I guess the easiest thing to talk about is, uh, yeah, the, my uh, my monthly synopsis and, of course, my my reviews and everything. I'd be interested to hear, you know, what uh, the DCR podcast has to say and, and other people as well. But I, of course, would wait until after 
because just like I talked about that I don't read Donovan's backroll reviews, I, I really like to come into it fresh so that I'm having my own ideas because I feel like if I'm listening or reading something else, then I'm just going to be replying to or addressing whatever that other person did. So, But that's interesting just to come from a, even a, a different perspective and listen to what I have to say and then someone else and, and compare it. But it'd be interesting certainly to, to hear what other people have to say on those two books. And hopefully they're loving them because I think they're great. But, you know, we had or there were podcasts that had differences of opinions uh, with me over the Gil Simone run. So so who knows? It'd probably be ironic that I love this run and, and other people don't. As far as the, uh, yes, the Catwoman number one, and yeah, I guess I was trying to think about perhaps where this came up, but I guess when I was talking about Batman, how I don't really see him as much of a, like a sexual character or someone who is oversexed as as perhaps uh, Dick Grayson is portrayed. I'm not sure if I, I mentioned Catwoman New 52, but certainly that was probably in the back of my mind. Even though I like that couple, the Catwoman Batman, I think that that wrecked it, that particular issue. I totally get what you're saying. I, I It was just, uh, it was wrong in so many ways. I mean, the number one issue of a new line of books and, and that's how you decide to start out and and Catwoman I think until really recently uh, with this new run currently has been really sexed up and you know over sexualized and I feel like her stories have been terrible and you know the current writer Genevieve Valentine I feel like she has a handle on the character and while she, while Catwoman does wear blouses that for some reason have no buttons on them, or so it seems, at least I think we're staring a little bit away from, you know, her trimsing all over Gotham looking for a man and, and more about um, her holding this power. So I like that there's that change there. And it's interesting. I, I totally, I think, I you know, I agree with your, your, your thought that, you know, if anyone says no at any point, then even if you've moved past that, I, I think there is a problem there that there was it, it wasn't 100% consensual. It's a little weird just to think about. I mean, if Batman says no, but suddenly he's overpowered, you kind of wonder about that. Like, why was Batman overpowered? Batman of all people. So I do sort of wonder about that. I, I do remember a very sketchy and similar scene in Spider-Man in the brand new day run where. I believe it was was it not chameleon being peter parker and having sex with somebody else and the idea of what is that is that sex or is that rape because you know chameleon was pretending to be peter parker i think it was it's been a while since i've read that but anyways i totally agree with you 100 percent that that was a terrible <laughs> it was a terrible scene i remember portraying it in uh an early shipper spotlight article that i did for the batman universe and uh, it's just not the sort of relationship that I feel like those two characters could have. And I'm hopeful, actually, that the if you've read Earth 1, Volume 2, Batman by Jeff Johns, she pops up, Catwoman pops up, spoiler. But uh, I just love the way she's portrayed. And you, you may come back, uh, or anyone may come back and say, what do you mean? She's only been in a couple. Listen to, actually, a podcast I did on the Batman universe where I explain why I think that. But I just think in those couple panels that she's in there, really well done, and I'm looking forward to how she is presented in future volumes. 
So thanks, Mike. And Hugo returns, and he says, Hello, Stella. I hope you're doing well. I thought I would send an email in regards to the Killing Joke special. I came fully into comics in the fall of 1991. Up until then, most of my knowledge of Babs and the rest of the Batman family came from the Batman TV series and the cartoons that followed. By then, Babs was already Oracle and loved the way she was used in the Suicide Squad. I went back to the back issue bin to find out how Babs ended up as Oracle, what happened to Robin, and who was Tim Drake. I ended up getting a Death in the Family, Batman Year 3, A Lonely Place of Dying, and The Killing Joke. The first three I loved, hadn't read Jason, so I wasn't a big fan at the time, but not The Killing Joke. I expected the story of how Babs was crippled by the Joker would be of her going down heroically, with her at least putting up a fight instead of her being used as a prop. Not only her, but also Batman. This is not the Batman I was reading at the time, nor the one in the other three trades I read. That Batman would have probably killed the Joker like he tried to do when Jason died. As much as this story ended up giving us Oracle, in my personal continuity, the killing joke is at best an Elseworlds story, which ended up with Batman killing the Joker at the end as retribution for what he did to Barbara. I'm a forgiving person, but after what happened to Barbara and Jason, it is hard to justify. Even though those incidents gave us my favorite Robin and Tim and Steph and Cass's backgirls, I still wouldn't forgive the Joker. Anyway, I went long again and I apologize. Keep up the good work and I'll keep listening. Fly on Stella. No need to apologize. I appreciate any listener feedback and, and thoughts and things like that. So, yeah, I was thinking about this one day with, you know, the Killing Joke and Elseworlds um, and Elseworlds in general because I really enjoy them and, and I think that they give such freedom and creative potential to writers and even fans, really, uh, to experience stories that have been told for a very long time, but switch them up, maybe in subtle, maybe in drastic ways. I love them. I think they're great. And I was thinking about, could The Killing Joke be in Elseworlds? And I feel like way back when, I think we had that potential. Uh, I, I think we had that potential in the space between The Killing Joke and the first time that Oracle pops up on a computer screen not her image of course but just you know type 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 in Suicide Squad because I, I feel like now that it's very much accepted you know as continuity that the Joker did this and Barbara Gordon was in fact paralyzed and became Oracle I think if if anything else had happened if she had uh, popped up again and walking and doing something else maybe she was a politician then I think it would have been in Elseworlds but I think that it is just so easily slipped its way into mainstream I almost feel like you could have erased it from continuity once you did New 52 because that gave you an open door however if you're taking that away you're also taking away her past as Oracle and I, I know that people would have been upset with that but you know, I know people like to talk about this as an Elseworlds story, and I guess you could, you'd have to have like an Elseworlds of this story, where at the end, Batman kills the Joker, and that's the Elseworlds part, but I, I just don't know if it's possible now, after everything I've been reading in Oracle, and just thinking about this since I did this Killing Joke special, I just don't know if we can consider it an Elseworlds, whether or not it has that title on it or not, because it has been so wrapped up in continuity in the mythos of Batman and Barbara Gordon. I of course uh, I definitely uh, I'm on board with you Hugo 100%. I don't appreciate the story either. The unfortunate thing is just that it how often it pops up and just 
you know, I, I feel like I have to keep going back to it. It's, uh, ugh. It's, I don't know. It's like, a, you, you've got a, a boyfriend, been going out with this boyfriend for a long time, break up with the boyfriend, and then there are little little pieces, little mementos around. I don't know. Maybe you could drive past a Jimmy John's. You're like, oh, we had a date at Jimmy John's. You know, there's that. So it's just like this, you know. We had Barbara Gordon as Mackerel, and that was destroyed by the Joker. And now, as she's living her life again, even though she's Batgirl again, we see little pieces of the Joker pop up all the time, it seems. All the time. But that's just me. I guess, you know, we can never get past it. And, you know, I, even if we think about episode 100 there with, you know, the, the issues that did with Brian Q. Miller, the fact is that it was a momentous, it, it was a life-changing event for Barbara, and we can't ignore that. So, you know, as often as we're seeing these images, she, of course, reflects back on it as well every day, uh, and especially when she's Oracle. So I can see it, but it's just, ugh, it's troublesome, especially if you don't like the story. Well, that's it for listener emails. Thank you for writing in, Hugo and Mike. And I hope other people write in as well. But now on to my special guest. So here I am, minding my own business. And I'm once again strong-armed into having somebody on my show because he thinks he knows something. <laughs> so I agreed just because I'm a nice person and I think we get along okay. So I'd like to reintroduce my semi-irregular co-host, Shag. The irredeemable shag. Thank I you apologize. Much. The irredeemable shag. Just want to make sure we have that qualifier out front, so nobody comes into this expecting me to be all polite and nice and things like that. And when they hear the things coming out of my mouth, they don't go, <gasps> you know, that kind of thing. Well, I was thinking little by little, I could potentially like my innocent nature is redeeming you. So like one time you'll come on back for the oracle, and you'll be super gentlemanly. It, it could happen. <laughs> not to, not tonight. <laughs> Certainly. And uh, your, your innocent Gentile nature, because, you know, I seem to record remote, bleh, I seem to recall <laughs> recording with you previously. Boy, your naughty side was just creeping, at, uh, knocking at the door. So I, I thought about um, we could be thinking about the same thing as about Booster Gold and Skeets. Some of that. Some of that. Yeah. And, and I thought about that because I was listening to your who's who number one. There's a little pimp for you. Uh, because Booster Gold popped in, I thought about him in that conversation. You know, it's an anomaly. It just comes out sometimes. But generally, I'm squeaky and minty fresh. But I think what we're discovering is, well, that's what's on the outside. We know what's behind the door all the time. <laughs> uh, everyone's going to desubscribe because I've let a lie. Are you kidding? Episodes. You're going to get like 10,000 more <laughs> listeners now. <laughs> uh. Well, you know, okay, I, I'll, plug, I'll plug Who's Who for just a second. Yeah, because it's relevant. Uh, we do do a podcast called Who's Who, the definitive mm-hmm. podcast of the DC Universe, and we just did uh, at least the time of this recording. We released Who's Who Update eighty seven, Volume One, which I apparently blackmailed Stella into listening to. wasn't aware of. So sorry. Tough luck. It's probably the best two and a half hours of your life. So anyway, um, the, the reason it's relevant is because we covered the Batgirl entry mm-hmm. in that issue. The, the updated Batgirl entry, the post-crisis version, and I espoused a little bit of knowledge that I picked up on when I kind of halfway listened to you and Tom talk about it. And then uh, you were kind enough to drop by Firestorm Fan and do a big knowledge bomb on us and shared all kinds of great information 
about Batgirl, the changes from pre-crisis to post-crisis. So, folks, if you want to read Stella's thoughts, head over to firestormfan.com and look at Who's Who 87 is all in there. Or we'll, in, when we do episode two, uh, I will read uh, some, some portion of that some in, and try and rework the words in some way to make you look bad. So Wow. I look forward to it. I mean, you almost forgot my name to begin with, that I was the actual <laughs> creator of Batgirl to Oracle. You know, you're like, yeah, Batgirl to Oracle with Tom Panarese and um, Stella. I'm like, first of all, why are you putting Tom's name first, who was a guest star? What was it? And no, I, you forgot the actual creator. I said it was a discussion between. I said it was yeah, a discussion but still, on. Why is Tom's name coming first? Well, Tom listens to my show regularly. I had to put. I had to make you listen to our show. Yeah, strong arm is right. Because you know what I was working up to say. I was. I was gonna like throw some all kinds of like you know. Naughty, you know, terms. I was gonna say, uh, and I'm like, no, I just, I'll just say Stella instead. That's what it was. Sure, sure. You're, I was gonna give you all kinds of like Stan Lee hot adjectives. So, <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> the bombastic Stella. That hey, that works. I think alliteration is always good, though. Stupendous Stella. That that's good. Sensational yeah. Stella. Yeah. Stellar Stella. Yes. There you go. I'm gonna stop little... before I start getting bad. Yeah, but it was it was interesting to uh, relook at those who's who pages again. And unfortunately, I don't like the nineteenth, the revised version of of Babs Origin, which I of course go into uh, on your site there. But no, it was nice. I I don't know if I've ever been as nerdy or as specific as to changes as I was at that time. <laughs> so I guess thank you. For like, I don't know, because I, I can't really say I'm an expert about anything. I would never try to be, you know, I'm going to try to pick out the differences in this firestorm. Who's who? I would never do that. But for <laughs> Batgirl, I feel like I have a right to do this. And so hopefully that helps you out with your uh, with your show. No, it's great. We appreciate it. That's exactly the kind of stuff we'd love to hear from. Now, uh, don't sell yourself short, because as far as I can tell, you are the Barbara Gordon expert on the Internet. I don't know that anyone's got you beat. So Yeah, I could be. Who knows? You know, Something to be proud of. Yeah, I think you and I are coming on Ryan Daly's new Secret Origin show at the same time. At the same time? Well, aren't you doing Dr. Midnight? Oh, I think I might. Yeah, I haven't done Which that Which is the yet. same as Batgirl. And Ryan oh. offered up the option of recording with you. And I, like, shivered a little bit. But I was like... Declined, uh, probably. No, I said, hey, yeah, that'd be fun. So... So yeah, we'll be. That's when we'll actually see this new origin in play with uh, Secret Origins with Barbara Kiesel or Barbara Randall at the time writing it. So. She's a she's a tennis player in this version, right? Oh heavens no, no. <laughs> Rob Kelly, whoever you are, you need that's, to get that straight. That's not his real name, by the way. So. What's his real name? Well, his real name's Dan DiDio, but I didn't, I can't say that on the <laughs> air though. He didn't so, really sound like Dan DiDio though. How does he mask his voice? Oh, my gosh. Are you serious, Shag? Have you been recording with Dan DeDio the entire time? <laughs> Who knew you were like a little Rich Little? I had no idea. <laughs> you probably don't know who Rich Little is. He was big before you were even born. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, wow. That was that was a trip. By the way, I had no idea we were recording, recording together with, with Ryan D- Daly. I, I haven't signed off on that yet. So oh, I, I'm going to wait till I see something from my lawyers about that, and then because yeah. everything I deal with with Ryan has to go through lawyers. I yes. I've learned that I learned my lesson the hard way. So we'll uh we'll see how if, if that comes to hat be or not. Okay, well I guess here's hoping or here's not hoping. Who knows? 
we, we we have a few crossovers in the near future if, if things go well. So we'll have to I hope so. Us. Yeah, we need to pressure Michael Bailey. Now I don't like to invite myself over on other people's shows. Why not? All the cool kids do it. I know, but I feel really bad. Like you know, if you want me on there, you can ask me. Maybe that's bad too. But um, <laughs> no, I I I just I I really respect and you know, like Michael Bailey, so I wanted to come over on his show. And I was on for the identity crisis because I really love that story, and he has some problems with it. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun to do an Elseworlds? And I found one that was in a backup pages of, I think, Superman in the 70s, where Superman and Barbara Gordon are married. So I've been trying really? to pressure... Yes, yes. Huh. And so I've been trying to pressure him to... Uh, Let's do this, and I think he, you know he found the uh, he found the comics. Okay. But, uh, nothing, nothing yet. But maybe we could joint pressure him and then swarm his podcast. That'd be fun. We're, we're, we're getting a rep for recording together here. I, I was telling Stella before we started recording. I, I kind of see us as like the the odd couple, and I guess unfortunately that probably makes me Felix and you Oscar. I'm not sure, <laughs> but this Don't is they where have a pet bird. Oh, I don't remember. It's been so okay. many years. So many years. No, I did not see a first run. I'm not that old. I saw it in reruns too. So. Yeah. You, and I, I, I feel bad. Like, I feel like, and I apologize to you on Facebook, I remember, because you sort of opened up this doorway where wherever I have an off comic, something that's not Suicide Squad and just kind of out there in the nebulous of, of DC Comics, I automatically now want to go and invite you on and i feel bad because now i'm asking you to come on my sh- this is the third time you've been on and i do apologize oh well, i think you need to check your download numbers because they're probably going down every time you have me on <laughs> so you're, it's to your own detriment i think uh, so yeah well this time I'm, we're I'm, on to talk I'm, about some, some i'm pleased to be here uh, oh, just, I'm glad. just don't invite me for any comics this crappy again yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it'll be a little while. I was looking at the next time because I thought, okay, that's okay. It will be a little while until I invite him again. But the next time is Hacker Files. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I've never even heard of that until I saw them on my list. I've so, never read it. I think I own an issue or two. You know what? I may even own the Babs issue, I wonder, because I have an issue or two for no apparent reason. Yeah. Um, I think it was an eight-issue miniseries or something. Oh, my goodness. So you can look forward to that sometime in 2015. I'm so glad I'm your go-to gimp. Thank you so much. <laughs> hey, you're so welcome. <laughs> uh, well, this time we're going to be talking about some Velvet Tiger. Wow. And you know who Martin Gray is, right? Yes, I do. Martin Gray loves Velvet Tiger. I bet he does. (laughs) For the life of me, I don't understand it. And I even tweeted, you know, I'd like to I'd like to know why you love her so much. And he actually he had a good reason. He he thought that in her first appearance, Detective Comics 518 and 519, that with her tech savvy nature, she'd be a good arch nemesis for Oracle. Hmm. Uh, And I think he likes her her swaggy get up. (laughs) <laughs> but but I still have problems with her that have started from her her first appearance. Now I've been going back and forth on whether we should talk about her first or should we talk about her after we get into these issues. Hmm. What, what do you think? Well, uh, are you, when you say talk about her, do you mean talk about the Detective Comics appearances or just the character in general? I guess everything. Let's do it on the back end. Okay. That, that would make more sense because, you know, inform the readers at home who haven't read these comics, those lucky yeah. dogs. And uh, I'm just kidding. They're not that bad. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just, I'm like, boy, I hope like Barbara Kessel doesn't listen to this. And then I'm going to feel really bad. 
anyway, so no, I think I think if we talk in the back end, people will be a little more informed about her. So we should do that. Okay. And by the way, Martin Gray has a hysterical sense of humor anyway. He and I, we got into a big nerd fight on Twitter uh, a while back about who was hotter, Firebrand the Rod, the, the, the male Firebrand, or Firebrand Danny, the female Firebrand, and just got into it. Because both of them have ridiculous costumes, like see-through shirts and stuff like that. Wow. And so he, he, has a, he has a, definitely has a flair for the fun costumes, I think. Yeah, I guess so. Well, for listeners, if you've been listening all along, I, I don't know what episode it was. I think it was like 73? <laughs> I don't know. I don't memorize Just my episode numbers. <laughs> it may be 73. I had to look at my show notes to see what I scored these uh, these issues. But if you remember, Velvet Tiger popped up in Detective Comics 518 and 519. And if you also remember, I did not like those issues. I was giving it a 3.5 out of 10. So, Holy moly. And those were only 10-page 10, 10 issues because that was like the backup of Detective Comics. And that's one of the things where you're like, thank goodness it's only 10 pages because I had to <gasps> deal with this. It was Trevor Von Eden was doing the art and Barbara Kessel, before she was Kessel, was writing it. <laughs> Shame on you. I'm sorry. I just did not. I. It was so – her and her brother, the re- weird interactions, him talking about cutting out the evil, which continues yeah. in this stuff. It's well, just really a, weird. I, don't I think there's a little flowers in the attic going on in that family. Oh my gosh! I can't believe you would reference that. What? You see how they are protecting each <laughs> other and a little too caring about each other a little too much. I'm just saying. You know, half of my listeners, at least, are probably googling flowers in the attic right now. <gasps> Why? Oh, because y'all. Oh, they're too young. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they would know what that was. And I only know of it because there were commercials for like a re. They redid it on Lifetime, like, this past couple years. I just know there was a book series when I was coming up, so don't worry, folks. Uh, for those of you who just Googled it, the being on the FBI watch list like that, it's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, looked, Shag's been on it for years, and I'm, he's doing okay. I'm doing just fine. Yeah. I mean, this anklet I got to wear that beeps sometimes, is, it's not that big a deal. No, no. But, yeah, so I guess I don't really have to go into her history. I think we'll potentially do that when we're talking about her. But just know that after these three Hawk and Dove issues, she's not actually gone. She pops up in Lobo, apparently, in (laughs) 1999. I don't know. I almost wonder if there's a a relationship between those two. That would be awesome. And then in Wonder Woman, don't you think that would be a a wacky relationship, a wacky couple, Lobo and Velvet Tiger? Well, the Lobo comic was so nuts anyway. I mean, she could have just been one character amongst a bunch of villains he killed, for all we know. But holy, they would be a hysterical couple. That would be hilarious. There's a whole lot of leopard skin and leather going on in that family. But anyway. And then Wonder Woman in 2001. So she's not gone. Hmm. But. At the end of this time, she certainly is. Interesting. So I guess we'll we have three issues. Yep. That we're gonna get through, and uh, I gave Shag actually the most difficult one to cover because it has the the wrap up from the previous story, which is somewhat confused. So, but you also wanted to enlighten us. You have some fascinating information on Hawk and Dove. I remember you said. Well, there's 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 some interesting stuff, and then there's going to be a whole bunch of WTF in this too, but. <laughs> For those of you who aren't familiar with the, with the Hawk and Dove series, just to give you some sort of big picture idea, Hawk and Dove was a, was a duo created back in 1968 by writer Steve Skeets and artist Steve Ditko. Now, if you don't know who Steve Ditko is, shame on you. Steve Ditko was the artist who created the visual look for Spider-Man. 
So you've got so, – and Steve Skeets is a really big writer back then. So you've got a couple of really big powerhouse creators. They created Hawk and Dove, two brothers, to sort of represent a lot of the political strife that was going on at the time. And Hawk represents aggression and Dove represents pacifism. And so Hawk was always violent and Dove was always a pacifist. And so they told a lot of different stories about these brothers. They were members of the Titans and stuff like that. And by the time you got to Crisis on Earths, Don, the, the brother who was connected with Peace, who was Dove, he died. Uh, he died in Crisis on Infinite Earths. A couple of years later, you get a miniseries of Hawk and Dove, which is where they introduced Dawn, who's uh, the new Dove, the female Dove that we're going to see. Uh, D-A-W-N. D-A-W-N, very good. Now, and by the way, I'm just going to get it out there. She's hot, so I have to say, you know. Trademark, well, uh, trademark your demo show. Hold on now. Got to yeah? clarify. Is what? she hot as her Dove persona with the white hair or as her Dawn persona with the blonde hair? She's hot as Dawn, and she's super hot, uh, or smoking hot. How's that? Um, there's okay. a rate, there's a scale. Uh, we'll say smoking hot as as see. as Dove. So okay. all women are hot. Just so you know, every woman is gorgeous in their own way. I've, yes, I, I. This is true, people, because I actually put him to the test, fire and brimstone style, mm-hmm. and I said, Amanda Waller, what do you think? And hot. he said, Yeah, absolutely hot. So, so. strength of will, that woman. Just it's sexy on her. So, okay. So, the post crisis. It was a, a five issue miniseries, and here's why it's interesting. Do you, have, do you have any idea who the artist was on that miniseries? I do not. It's part of the reason. Now, this is just me. I think part of the reason that the ongoing series even happened is because of who the artist was on this five issue miniseries that introduced Dawn and it paired her with Hawk. It was a guy who was just kind of breaking into the industry. He had a few comics published at this point by the name of Rob Liefeld. Hmm. And this, he likes feet, right? <laughs> well, this is back when he had an inker, and he was still restrained. I, I still stand by that, like his early work with New Mutants. While the anatomy is wonky, it wasn't as crazy as his later stuff would become because he was kind of let to go untethered and do whatever he wanted. Where in the early days, he had stronger inkers, sort of cleaning up his work, and you know, editors going, "Dude, come on, really?" You know, and so his work on Hawk and Dove wasn't bad, and it sort of. It, it propelled him to, within a year, he was on that New Mutants title, which led to X-Force. So this was, this was really what kind of boosted his career. So the five-issue miniseries does very well. I believe a lot of it had to do with Rob. Uh, and then you get an ongoing series, and uh, so that's where we are now. We're going to do issues 22, 23, 24. Now, here's where it gets really weird. The series ends at issue 28. So we're very close to the wow. end of the series. But we're not close to the end of the series on purpose. It is the craziest most editorially interfered <laughs> thing. Oh, no. um, you're going to have to hang with me here. So it may get a little complicated, but just stick with me. There was a, there was a, you know, every year they do the big crossover, right? Yeah. Every, so the, in 1991, the big crossover was called Armageddon 2001. And what the idea was is that 10 years in the future, all the heroes are going to be wiped out by one of their own. Some superhero is going to betray all the heroes 10 years in the future and wipe them out. And then that, that person will go on to claim the identity of monarch, and they will become the ruler of the earth. So some superhero is going to become a bad guy. And so this guy comes back in time and tries to figure out who it is that goes bad. So he comes back from 2001 to 1991 to try and figure out who's going to turn evil and betray all the heroes. And so it's, I went through all the annuals. Every annual had a big story. And it's a lot of sort of like Elseworlds, what ifs kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He, he would like look at their possible futures and like you saw Superman as president of the United States and you saw all these different things. Hawk and Dove had a baby named Unity. 
Anyway, um, together. So, yeah, yeah. Turns out that this whole series was a love story between them, and it was a slow build. Wow. And it got interfered with this with the story here. So Armageddon two thousand one is going on, right? So it's clearly obvious to everyone reading the comic that this guy Monarch is secretly gonna it's gonna be Captain Adam. The Captain Adam is going to become Monarch. There was no doubt about it. And in fact, it even got leaked. Somehow it got out that Captain Adam was going to be Monarch. Well, editorial at that point, or maybe it was the writers, I don't know, someone decided, well, wait, if everyone already knows who the bad guy is, we need to pull a bait and switch and pick a different hero to be the bad guy. And they picked Hawk. So instead of being Captain Adam, and this isn't just like speculation, it was legitimately going to be Captain Adam. At the last minute, they changed it to Hawk. So what happens in this finale, so because of that, Hawk and Dove's Heroes had to end, so it ends at 28, and then you go to two, the Armageddon 2001, where Monarch, keep in mind who is Hawk from the future, Monarch comes back in time and murders Dove. Hawk loses his mind, then murders Monarch, and then puts the Monarch armor on and becomes Monarch. It's like a snake eating its own tail, yeah, it's just round yeah. and round. Um, so it's complicated and just messy, but anyway, so Hawk becomes like the universe's worst bad guy. And then what happens to the child? Never, never happened because that oh, was a okay. possible future. I see. So the unity was never born. So Hawk mm-hmm. becomes this bad guy named Monarch. Later on, he becomes he changes his name to Extant. He's a big player in the Zero Hour crossover. Ultimately, in the in the JSA series done by Jeff Johns and um, Goyer, David Goyer, um, Adam Smasher kills him. Adam Smasher arranges for this Hawk future version of Hawk, who's now called Extant, to die. And so uh, it's crazy. And then over the course of the years, you get a couple more Hawk and Dove series that are different characters as Hawk and Dove. Like there's a rock and roll duo as Hawk and Dove. And later on, you find out that Dove's still alive and her sister becomes Hawk. And it's and it go through all this stuff. By the end of Blackest Night, though, Hank, who's the main guy, is back. And you have Hawk and Dove back to kind of the way they're supposed to be by the end of Blackest Night. So big, long, crazy journey there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was introduced to Hawk. Oh, well, I guess if I were to say introduced, I would. I first met Hawk and Dove, the original on Justice League. Oh yeah, but, yeah. But read, which I really liked. I liked those, and I think one of them was uh, Boy Meets World, wasn't it? Oh, for, uh, yeah. Fred Fred Savage. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, not Boy. Then it'd be Wonder Years. Oh, his little brother Ben Savage. Yeah. You mean uh, the guy? I can't from, remember which one it was. Maybe guy, it was Wonder the, Years. The guy from Girl Meets World. Oh yeah. So I like that. But then I was reading Hawk and Birds of Prey, the most I, – I, was it volume four before the, the reboot uh, with Gail Simone? And I was not I was not liking him. He was an annoyance uh, oh, that was for after me. Blackest Night when he came back yes. from the dead. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So I was somewhat dreading, like, oh, I've got to read. But actually I've – I liked – you know, these – my positive moments actually were the Hawk and Dove characters mm-hmm. in this story. But the stories themselves, uh, not so much. But uh, what is your history with, with these two? Um, this is the first issues I've ever read, believe it or oh, not. Oh, yeah. okay. I, I've, I've We're read... finally on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, took, it took Hawk and Dove to get us there. I've read a lot of old DC comics. My, in fact, my favorite era of DC comics is like the late 80s and early 90s. Mm-hmm. And either at the time I read a bunch of them or have gone back and since read a bunch of them. I, I do this thing where I talk about like finding my joy which is like I don't take a lot of joy from a lot of modern comics. So instead what I do is I go back and read old comics that I didn't happen to read at the time. So I'll find a series from the 90s you know, or 80s that I never read, and I'm like, like John Byrne's Fantastic Four. Everyone talks about how great it is. I've never read it. 
So I picked up some of the trades and I'm enjoying the heck out of it. I love it. So I find my joy by reading older stuff. So Hawk and Dove's actually one of the ones that's been on my list to get around and read because it's from my favorite era. And now maybe I can just check that box off. I'm not sure. But uh, <laughs> it's, it, they weren't terrible, but they didn't really engage me that yeah. much. Now let me ask you. I talked about the whole thing Hawk and Dove are supposed to represent you know, aggression and passive passive mm-hmm. Is that a word? I don't know. Yeah. You tell me. You're smart. Pacifism? Is that right? I think so, yeah. Okay. And so did you see that in the story? Did you sense that as you were going through this? I did. Uh, okay. Because he, he does uh, fly off the handle, I think, mm-hmm. really easily. No matter, you know, if obviously if someone's telling him, like in this first issue, you know, that that kid says he was trying to help you out the Russians or whatever, and then he beats in the soda can. So you can see that, yes, he would get upset at that. But... You know, then he encounters the people in the park and he gets super angry. But she, like, always swoops in and, like, tries to calm him down. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like she's a very defensive fighter as well, whereas she's more, um, like, she doesn't engage as much. She'll try to, like, swoop in or use some other way of of getting uh, her bad guy away from her, whereas he is very offensive and will go into the fight. So I, I, I saw that as I was reading. Cool. See, again, you bring the smarts. I didn't pick up on that until oh. the, until the second reading that I okay. had, because uh, I just saw you know like they're both fighting and da da da. I'm like, well, wait a minute, isn't she supposed to be a pacifist? And it went back just like you indicated. You're right. She never throws a punch. She she does like she uses a trash can to throw it and hit a gun out of somebody's hand. Mm-hmm. She trips somebody. She does tap a guy with a pole, but she doesn't smack him with it. Yeah. Um, and so everything she does, it, you're right. She does some judo throw or keto throws, like uses someone's momentum against them and stuff mm-hmm. like that. She never throws a punch the whole time. I was like, oh wow, okay. Because right, I, you know, it's kind of how do you do a pacifist superhero? You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna sit here and let this happen. You know, you know what? How's that gonna work out? So this is how they demonstrate it, and I, I was really, I really enjoy that. So mm-hmm. very cool. All right, you want me to get into this? Yeah, no All time right. like the present. All right, everybody, strap in. Hawk and Dove, number 22, cover dated March 1991. Or if you, if you want to pick yourself up a pristine copy of this, hop in your Bill and Ted's phone booth and set up for January 22nd, 1991. That's when you're going to get a copy without any creases on it, folks. That's where you got to go. Where'd you get that information from? Mike's Amazing World. Okay. See comics. Thank I you. knew it. I, I knew always... it. Who's well, I'm this glad Mike you did that. I don't trust him. I don't no, Mike Voyles, are you kidding? No. Because his name is everywhere, but you don't know who he is, so I feel like he's Brainiac. Oh, no. Because he, he knows all this stuff, and he's he's all over the interwebs. No, his name's Mike Voyles. He does a <laughs> podcast of his own, and I feel terrible when I forget to mention his site, so thank you for calling me out on that. But Yeah. He's a real person, I promise. Have you seen him? I haven't seen him, but I have heard him. He's not a machine. He doesn't talk like a speaking spell. Okay. So, <laughs> speaking spell. Would you like to play a game? So, <laughs> Um, <laughs> Thank you, Stephen Hawkins. No, that was that was War Games. <laughs> no, I gotcha. I <laughs> but it's gotcha. probably the same voice box. So, all right, cover is Hawk and Dove number twenty-two. <laughs> on the cover, it's a very orangey and yellowy cover. You've got a very close, tight-up uh, look on this guy who's got uh, he's got his Oakleys on and his scruffy beard, and he's holding the burnt-up masks of Hawk and Dove, and he says, "They blowed up real good. The explosive return of sudden death." And if you've been reading Hawk and Dove since issue number five, that would have meant something to you. All right. Cover, by the way, is by uh, Steve Irwin, the Crocodile Hunter, and Carl, inked by Carl Kiesel. So once you get inside, it's written by Barbara Kiesel and Carl Kiesel, which, by the way, Barbara Kiesel is Barbara Randall, uh, the woman who wrote those early um, 
Batgirl Adventures in the 80s. Then Pencil, again, Steve Irwin, the Crocodile Hunter. Inker, Scott Hanna, who's a great inker for the 80s. Love his stuff. Letterer, Robert pa- uh, Panaha, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> and colorist, Glenn Whitmore. So, all right. As the issue opens, uh, we are in a hospital, and we are visiting with Hank, who is secretly uh, Hawk, and he is visiting his friend Roger in the hospital. Roger has been was hurt in a previous issue. I don't have the details on it. They don't give us the details on it, but we're, we're going to kind of just skim over it. The gist of it is there was an incident with Hawk um, battling somebody. His friend Roger got involved. Roger got hurt, and Hawk feels very, very guilty because Roger's not the superhero. Hawk's the superhero, so Roger shouldn't get hurt. It's not his job to get hurt, so he feels horrible about it. He's just racked with guilt. Anyway, they're there in the hospital with Roger's family visiting, and there's just some fun discussions and such. Anyway, Hawk decides he just uh, – I'm sorry, Hank. It's, they're so Yeah, spoiler. People don't know that they're the same people. <laughs> By issue 22, they better figure it out. So <laughs> Hank is distraught, so he decides to walk home from the hospital. And while he's walking home, he stumbles across the world's least subtle drug deal. And he decides to break this up at the drug deal in his civilian identity because he can't turn into Hawk now because they've seen him. Because he said, hey, that's a drug deal. And so they, now he has to do the battle as uh, Hank. So he does okay, but he doesn't have a super strength stuff because he hasn't transformed. And, but the, eventually the thugs get the better of him. Well, thank goodness uh, Dawn decided to follow him home because she was worried about him. So she follows him. She transforms into Dove, which now gives her super abilities. And she easily takes care of the drug dealers. Now, watching from across the street is this guy, again, with the Oakleys and the, the stubble and the sunglasses and, or the, the, the hair, blonde hair and everything. And his name is Sudden Death. He is apparently a foe of theirs from issue number five, and he's got sort of the surfer dude mentality going. And he sees Dove and figures if Dove's there, Hawk's got to be nearby, and he wants revenge on Hawk. So he goes over there to get involved. Uh, he's asking Dove where Hawk is, and while he's doing that, he shoves Hank out of the way and accidentally knocks him out. Well, knocks out Hank, there's not going to be any Hawk. So Dove spends some time trying to evade sudden death, doing just like we talked about, the defensive fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, but he ends up taking several accidental blows. Like he, uh, he gets hit by some cars, smashes into some trees from her Aikido throws, and all of this charges him with energy. Every, it looks like every blow he takes, he gets more energized. So finally, he's like right at critical mass, and Dove tricks him into overloading. And when he overloads, he just huge detonation. It leaves a giant hole in the street, which goes straight down into the subway. So uh, Dove and Hank are down in the subway, and there's a, of course there's a subway car coming because that's how that works. And the train's barreling down. Dove manages to wake up Hank. At the last moment, he transforms into Hawk and stops the train from crushing them and crushing the cars that were there. And they don't mention it, but probably did millions of dollars of damage. It took that subway line out of uh, operation for months and inconvenience. Tons of poor commuters. Commuters, I feel bad for them. So they um, they go back up out of the hole, and they're back up on the street level. Hawk beats the living tar out of sudden death to the point where he goes critical again. He explodes, but at the end of it, there's no sign of sudden death. Where did he go? There's no body. Can't be dead. So, now throughout the issue, there are other subplots, which I skipped over. Just to touch on those, there's a subplot following Velvet Tiger. At this point, as we're introduced to her in Hawk and Dove, she is a, or we don't even know it's a she at the beginning of the story, Velvet Tiger is a mysterious... A mob boss who's moving in on territory in Washington. In fact, she took out uh, a mob leader very mysteriously. She warned him. She said, if you don't do what I want, you, uh, by midnight you'll be dead. So they sit there and they watch the clock tick down. It reaches midnight. They're like, ha-ha, we're fine. And then literally, there's just a split second later, he's got a knife stabbed in him and he's dead. So, n- no one saw the knife move. No one knows how it happened, but he just one moment he's fine. The next he's got a knife in his belly and he's bleeding out and he's dead. 
So somehow this 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 person's very powerful and can get stuff done. And the note says, you know, you all work for me now, basically. So she's trying to take over the whole mob. At the very end, we do see Velvet Tiger. She does come out, and she's in this alluring uh, sort of vel- uh, velvet tiger. Durr. It's a tiger print, you know, like a tiger print outfit and lots of – I'll let you describe it because I'm going to get in trouble. What? <laughs> if I describe I mean, it, I'm going to get on. Yeah, well, a tiger print bodysuit, basically. Okay. I mean, think Tigress from Avengers, but it's, it's not actual – it's not her fur. It's actually a suit. Well, but then it gets it gets even you know sexier because then she's got to like unzip to her navel, and you can see uh, unzip to her navel. Oh, okay, wait, no, come that, on. Well, no, that was the Are one. Are we reading sorry. the same issue? No, that was the Detective Comics version. Was unzipped. You can see yeah. like the black bra there. Here, no, you're right. She just goes down to just below her cleavage. And she anyway. doesn't have a mask anymore, but she does have like whiskers painted on her face. And it's the '90s. She's got a little tiny leather jacket on. That's how that works too. So, um, so wear those. She explains to Sudden Death uh, that he's now working for her, and if he doesn't, she's going to turn him over to the police. She leaves him no choice. Then an even more relevant subplot going on is features the Georgetown Physical Therapy Center. And there we see Hank's mother. She's a physical therapist, and she's coaching a basketball team that's made up of wheelchair-bound men, and they're playing a game of hoops. Surprisingly, Barbara Gordon shows up in her wheelchair, and she swishes an amazing shot. And apparently she... uh, Hank's mom is going to be Barbara's therapist while she's in Washington, D.C. That's about all we know about Barbara's appearance there. But she does show up. She does show the boys up and uh, swooshes a basket, which is great. And then the final page, we get this huge subplot drop, which doesn't go anywhere for us because it's in issues after we get done reading. But Hank gets home. He plays his answering machine. And there's a voicemail from his brother, Don. His brother, Don, that died a few years ago. Dun, dun, dun. So there you go. There's the issue. Yeah. What a way to leave that. And all, all three issues kind of end that way, too. I know. It's terrible. It gets worse and worse. Uh, yeah, I tried to look up the history of sudden death so I wouldn't just be coming on and making you do all the heavy lifting. And, you know, some of these, like, Wikia pages are just, which I wonder if sudden death has a who's who entry. But it was just saying not much <laughs> is known about this. Well, now now I'm on this because you made me listen to it. So I'm like, huh, who's who? Now it's on my brain. <laughs> Who's who's a great series, regardless of the podcast. It's a great comic series. It is, it is. But yeah, he was in issue five. He also appears in Suicide Squad. No way. The current run that I'm, yeah, reading. And then later in Birds of Prey with with Chuck Dixon. Wait, when you say current run, you mean the New 52 version? Well, current as in the the one that was starting in the 80s. Okay, 1989. Yeah, it showed issue one, so I don't know if he stayed on very long. And then Birds of Prey, it showed issue number one. So I look forward to see, or maybe not. I am interested to see if he, or what role he will play in those particular issues. I'm Googling who's who right now to see if he's in there. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, no. as we, oh my gosh, he is. Oh no. Uh, what year? Uh, Ju- the July 1991 issue. And what yes. we found out before we recorded was that the June 1991 issue features Velvet Tiger. <laughs> We've got, you know, what's unfortunate is that you will have forgotten about this wonderful podcast episode that you've been on. By the time you get to that, and you won't even, you won't even reference, you will, we probably won't even go, um, Stella, they'll just be a blank. I, 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 I can't even remember your name now, so yeah. what's the likelihood of that down the line? <laughs> oh, boy. Where to start on this issue? 
<laughs> well, let's let's start with the the plot about. I mean, I, I, is it fair to say we can skip everything in the hospital, or did you want to talk so. about? Yeah, that? the only thing was getting to know Ren a little bit because this is my first introduction to Ren, who is dating Hank at this time, and she just seems like a kooky and awkward character, especially since she made that comment to the nurse about. You know, couldn't the nurse tell who was a member of the family because, you know, his friend is black and then the parents are black. And then you come out later and then they have this larger blended family with like uh, there's a white kid. And then who else is on there? Well, it looks like looks like the mom's Asian. Yes. Yeah, that's it. The dad's black. uh, The kids, you know, red haired with freckles and the daughter is I, I think she's black. I'm not sure. Uh, this is what the coloring looks like. So I, I just was thinking, you know, there's, there's definitely some variance there, and uh, they're, they're really hitting you over the head with the mixed yeah. family idea. You know, it's basically saying it's okay. I'm like, I, I didn't know anyone was, you know, raging against it, but all right. But that's but, I mean, all I had to say about that one. But you know what? For kids, it's probably good. You know, if you were nine or ten reading this and you see a mixed family, you're probably like, oh, that's cool. You know? Yeah, and he has a nice little rat tail. I had one of those when I was younger. You did not. <laughs> I did. Were you, a, were you a Padawan? <laughs> I don't. It wasn't out then. It was not out. Oh, okay. Because I, I thought you were born like two years ago or something. It was you? a oh, close yesterday, okay. like Ultron or not oh. Ultron? Vision. Sorry. No. Yeah. It's uh. You know. I thought. Hey, I'm gonna have this little rat tail. <laughs> That's I don't awesome. think I. I don't think it. It was like maybe first or second grade. It didn't last too long, though. I will say. You know what? My favorite thing, though, is that I didn't even know he had one until you told me. <laughs> Probably <laughs> because, like, my 80s, fil- that? My, my 80s filter was still on, so it's oh like, oh, that's goodness. just normal, you know. <laughs> it's normal having a little tail down there? Well, my brother had a mullet and, you know, different things like that. So it was, okay. I, I, I came up in this era, you know? I had long hair and I had the, the bangs that came down past oh. my chin. Oh, wow. I, well, I didn't get the name Shag for being half bald. I so. see. <laughs> It wasn't an ironic nickname, so. <laughs> oh, so yeah. If where do you want to start then? If if not the hospital scene, since well, we're gonna, gonna we're gonna save Velvet Tiger for later, so we can we can come back to that. So ba- let's do Babs of the basketball. So, okay. Yeah, talk to me about this. Like, how do you feel now? First of all, I mean, this is Barbara Randall, Barbara Kessel, yes. getting to write Barbara again. What almost ten years after she, you know, had those those backups. So, if anyone. Yeah, even if you only scored her what a, a negative four out of ten, I think you said. Um, I never do negatives. She, uh, she, you know, she kind of has earned the right to tell tell Barbara stories because you know she used to write Barbara in the old days. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, she wrote uh, several different stories, and um, she also had the the background special in 1988. And then the Secret Origins issue 20 with uh, Dr. Midnight. So this is just a different version of Barbara, of course, because now Barbara is Oracle as she is. But I actually, I really love this scene, even, you know, short. Mm -hmm. But I just thought it was super fun because you see Babs, like, pretending to almost shy away from the challenge, but then grab it. And then just be Babs and excel at this and, you know overcome the guys and stuff and i thought yeah this is i mean this is her having fun and not being the dour person that we sometimes see when she's in the wheelchair so i really like the scene even though it was just one page when she doesn't usually get to take a lot of action either you know as or right yeah right. so yeah I, I thought it was cool i dug it it was fun it was cute it was a cute little scene you know it's 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 very much of its time yeah. where you know the 
the girl steps in, you know, and, and shows up the boys. I mean, that's just very, very typical of the time. I so. mean, it's basically Hoosiers. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, I was going to say it's a little different, but yeah. Yeah, a little bit. There's no Gene Hackman. It's replaced by a woman. But. Right. Um, yeah, it was also good to see Hank's mother here uh, just because I think it's like a subtle way to start moving bads towards Hawk and Dove. But you don't mm-hmm. really know that direction when you're reading this issue. But just right. in hindsight of the three issues we read and we get that connection later. Yep. Um, the fight between Dove and um, Sudden Death. I, I was – I wasn't checked out, but I was like, okay. I mean, I was just barely checked in for it, though. Yeah. I I didn't really like this villain as much. Yeah. And, you know, he reminded me of the Absorbing Man from Marvel. Okay. And I always saw the Absorbing Man as being very dangerous because he would absorb – and then he would pound back, basically. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like this guy, as much energy as he got, if he got too much, then – basically is detrimental to him not to anybody else well it's a pretty big explosion though yeah and i guess you know maybe he could project because we didn't read issue five so we're doing kind of speculation here but i guess it's possible he can focus that energy but she hit him in such a way he was already critical and forced him to overload so it's possible if he hadn't overloaded he could have used all that energy and directed it at somebody mm-hmm. and really done some serious damage so again yeah. speculation who knows yeah it, it- it seemed like the fight was almost, I don't know, like a circular fight because he's getting the energy, explodes, and then it happens again, and he explodes. Yeah, they did it to so, him twice. Yeah. yeah. And I also wonder, you know, how are all of his clothes destroyed except for his underwear? Well, that's what happens to me normally when I, when I rage out, so, you know. Wait, are your, is your underwear made of special material? Unstable, unstable molecules. Yeah. I see. Unsta- unstable. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a Reed Richards thing. I would prefer stable molecules. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that discussion about naughty discussions? This is going down a wrong path if you want to keep this clean, sweetie. <laughs> I'm just so, saying. So anyway, so then, you know, I feel bad when, like, they're in the subway. Yeah. And, like, I feel terrible for all those commuters. Like, because I've been on the metro before, and I've seen how busy it is. No. All those people are hosed. Like, they're not going to be able to get to their stations for, like, months because of how long this is going to take to get repaired. Well... On the flip side, Shag, they have their lives. I said, well, this guy wasn't going to endanger the subway anyway. He just wanted to kill Hawk. I know, but there was a major act. Well, uh, you have all this rubble and stuff. So so they would have all died. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Two things in this shot that are in these pages that I didn't notice before. One, you get a nice butt shot of of Dove. Thank you. Then, um. Sorry. And then she, her actually most violent act of the whole comic is slapping, slapping Hawk awake. Hank? Yeah. Or Hank. I keep going to Hawk. Yeah, I didn't even notice that until just now. Yeah, I actually liked that. That was funny. <laughs> I bet uh, you did. Yeah. I, <laughs> well, I just thought it was funny in the moment. I'm sure she wasn't laughing. but um, Say my name. Oh, gosh. I, but, yeah, I liked that where he, he stops it. But I guess because I'm sort of getting Spider-Man 2, Tobey Maguire flashbacks where he stops the uh, the train. But. I liked that he woke up and got to business quickly. Now, to be fair, this was before Spider-Man Two. It was. You're but right. I'm sure Spider-Man. I'm sure that Spider-Man Two scene was probably inspired though from a comic like 1968 or something, probably. Yeah. So yeah, seeing Hank stop the or Hawk stop the train was nice. Mm-hmm. And then um, I did, even though the fights was kind of eh, and like you said, it was circular. It was nice to just see Hawk unload and right. a little cathartic to just see him beat the living snot out of that guy. So yeah. that was nice. 
seems like they have a good relationship from issue five. <laughs> they're, they're besties. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we get we get what well, we haven't started discussing yet, but we get this white effect mm-hmm. where the whole panel like freeze frames and everything turns white for a second. Yeah. And then something's been changed, and that's going to lead us to Velvet Tiger in a minute. Yeah, and that happened twice. It happened at the beginning, and I kept wonder. I thought it was a coloring error. The first oh, page. Okay. Did you know right away what was going on? I didn't know what was going on. I but I I was I, like, huh? I, I could interpret that that was an intentional effect, though. Yeah. Just After because, a while, I thought, well, it's some purpose. Yeah. Because the kid froze. He's popping the cork, and then the right. next panel's him still frozen, but it's all white. I'm like, no, nah, that's got to mean something. Yeah. And then you, you kind of get the sense that time has stopped. It must be what it is, but you don't really understand how it, how it's all working. Yeah. Do you think we'll, – we'll talk about what this effect is. Do you think it would have been better to enlighten the readers now or keep them guessing and, and we find out the answers in two issues? I, I like the mystery. Okay. I mean that was you – know, at least it was something compelling. You're right. like, how is this happening? You know. And now you could sit here and nitpick it. I mean the, the, the time stop effect where he's, you know, he's been stabbed in the chest there. Well, if time really stopped, his shirt shouldn't be soaked with blood. It should just be starting to – the blood should just now starting to come out. But True. Anyway, that's just nitpicky nerdyism because, yeah. you know, that's what we do. Uh-huh. We're, we're having a podcast dissecting a comic that's 30 years old. But. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they could always go back and change it for print. Oh, they could, they could George Lucas it, I suppose, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but really, I mean, as far as your listeners are concerned, we, we, we've hit what matters with Babs. You yeah, know, we did. Her, her appearance there is um, – Let's see. There is some other stuff in here about Dawn's boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, I guess or he's Dove's boy. That's confusing. Right now, we could call him Dove's boyfriend. Oh, it is Dove's boyfriend. You're right. It is. But we, we'll get into that in the next issue or whenever <laughs> it is. So, um, which was, was the, funny. Oh. Did you like that? The little train sequence. I liked that he shot Hawk, and he's like, "Hawk, I shot Hawk of all the possible mistakes." And then someone says, "We gotta fix that Hawk one again." <laughs> I thought that was funny that apparently people accidentally shoot Hawk all the time. I can see that. He's he's a bit I mean, you said yourself you got on your nerves in Birds of Prey. And imagine if you yeah. were a cop having to deal with him as a vigilante. Yeah, you'd accidentally shoot him a lot, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> Probably have your, your hawk shooting, you know, party every weekend. Like, let's go shoot to the shooting range. <laughs> we'll leave the Joker alone and Captain Boomerang, but Hawk's getting it in the face, man. Oh gosh. So, uh, Velvet Tiger, she does show up at the end. Yep. She is a former Batgirl villain. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no sign of what her powers are here, and especially yeah. any difference from the pre-crisis Velvet Tiger. But it is fair to say she's hot. And I think it's kind of funny that she's dressed uh, sudden death in, like, a girly robe. That's cute. Well, I mean, it's better than him traipsing around his underwear. He's got unstable molecules for underwear. Remember? I'm hoping still that they're stable <laughs> molecules. <laughs> You're hoping he's not going commando under that rope? Me too. So. Yeah, basically. But yeah, it does, well, it, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, we, we do at least get a, a glimmer of what her plan is, that she hopes to be the real power in Washington and in control of all the gangs around there. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so she's basically Shredder. <laughs> yes, she's absolutely like Shredder. It's, I mean, the parallel is amazing. So really, those things on her face, they're actually scratch marks from Splinter. I was thinking that. I was thinking about her pet rat and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Or yep. pet guinea pig. <laughs> There's a nice callback to episode 100. <laughs> yeah! An episode you didn't listen to! I did! 
did, but apparently didn't finish. I thought I had. <laughs> and something I will have uh, remedied before this is even released. I guess the last thing is just bringing Dawn back from the dead. And my thought was just, oh man, it's like Blackest Night happening in 1991. Would you personally trust this if you heard uh, a dead sibling's voice on a recording device? Um, th- this is a hard one because, you know, if you lose someone that's that important in your life, you would do anything to get them back. Mm-hmm. You really would. And you would even fool yourself into believing there's a chance you could get them back. But of all places, on a cheap answering machine, you know, I mean, that's just weird. But at the same time, you're going to know your brother's voice. Right. And if you hear it, you're going to go, oh, my gosh, that's my brother. So it, you know, it is sort of, uh, uh, you don't know what Amazing Stories is probably, but you know what Twilight Zone is. Yeah. In, in, like, in like a Twilight Zone kind of way, it, it almost would be a good little story in Twilight Zone where you, you have a deceased sibling or deceased family member who leaves you messages on your answering machine. That's the only way you can communicate with them. I didn't hear. The thunder. Hello? Who's on the line, please? Miss Elva Keene lives alone on the outskirts of London Flats, a tiny rural community in Maine. Up until now, the pattern of Miss Keene's existence has been that of lying in her bed or sitting in her wheelchair reading books, listening to her radio, eating, napping, taking medication, and waiting for something different to happen. Miss Keene doesn't know it yet, but her period of waiting has just ended. For something different is about to happen to her, has in fact already begun to happen, via two most unaccountable telephone calls in the middle of a stormy night. Telephone calls rooted directly through the Twilight Zone. I mean, that would be pretty creepy. So I, I guess, like, on the surface, when I first read it, I'd be like, dude, that's got trap written all over it. But I guess if you really step back and think about it from a psycho- psychology point of view, it, I, it would make sense. It would make yeah. sense why you would believe it. You almost wonder why he's using that to contact him, though, and he couldn't do, like, a Jedi trick and appear as a little ghost. Because it's a trap! Okay. <laughs> it's got Thank you, be. Admiral Akbar. <laughs> no, that's more. It's a trap. <laughs> no, it's 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 got to be a trap though, because okay. I mean, by issue twenty-eight, I know that Dawn's still around as Dove, and Dawn is not back. Yeah. So must have. I did do some back. research on this, and we'll see if. Um... By research, she means she spent thirty three thirty seconds on a Wikipedia page. No, that's not true. Forty-five seconds on a wiki page. <laughs> It was a wiki page, but <laughs> I did do some research, so I'll drop it later on, and you can tell me if it's a no. Tell me which one. I'll go fix it right now. Oh, you want me to tell you? So I'm I was kidding. Watch- 
Oh, okay. So no, I mean, yes, you can way. share it. I was I was kidding about what? changing the answer on the internet. That's all. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, so I was looking up, and <laughs> it seems like maybe this is the lead-up to the four-issue miniseries called War of the Gods. Oh, because so, Don my Hall... My stomach just tightened. Oh. Are you okay? Don, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Clinch! Uh, Don Hall was... It's because of those unstable molecules. Don, <laughs> Don Hall was revived as an undead zombie by Circe, and he attacked Don Granger, but eventually he went back to the afterlife. Holy moly! I don't even remember that! But I don't know what takes place, because that goes from September to December 1991, and you just said we're in March, March, April, May, right? For yeah. 20. Yeah, so I don't know what happens in the space in between, because we didn't read it, but that's at least what happens there. So I wondered if it was the lead-up to this, like bringing him back, and that's actually when he comes back. Well, I mean, they had to they had to cancel the book and take Hawk out of the book very quickly because of this Armageddon 2001 thing where Hawk becomes a bad guy. So I guess that could have been connected to that, or I'm not sure this. I'm not sure the timing on it either. I can't recall. War of the Gods. Oh, War of the Gods. Oh, War of the Gods. It was set to be like the greatest thing ever. Every comic fan was so excited. Oh. Because George Perez was drawing it, and George mm-hmm. Perez is a master. I mean, he's there's in the in the 80s and 90s. There's no one better. He's just amazing. And he was going to be doing the big DC crossover, so it felt like we were getting the next crisis. Um, and I, I don't remember your opinion on Crisis, and if it was bad, I probably blocked it out. But because it's a work of genius. But anyway, um, so we're all like, "Oh my gosh, this is going to be the greatest thing ever!" And he was going to write it, and then a lot of people loved his Wonder Woman title. And then it was not good. And then it took forever to finish. Like number, it was either number four took month a long time to come out. It was just very long, drawn out. It wasn't that satisfying. Sort of like eating a not good meal. Like going to CC's Pizza and being stuck there for a long time kind of thing. Actually, I kind of like CC's Pizza. But I like well, I was going to say, I mean, if you're stuck there, it's, it's a buffet. <laughs> I was going for like a bad meal that's not enjoyable. But anyway, so War of the Gods, it could have been any direction there with that, that, that storyline there. Oof. Oof. Had so much potential. So disappointing. So did you read it? Oh, yeah. I've got Do it you all. remember reading God. about Don? No, I don't know. Don and Don? I think I I have every crossover, too. I don't even remember that. I don't know. But then again, I mean, I've got something like 15,000 comics. There's a few I don't remember. Oh, dear. Falling down on the job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) You come down here and read them all and tell me how much you remember 40 years later. Yeah, that's true. Well, I like how you just blow me off. That's nice. Yeah, I I, I mean, Mm -hmm. do you think you'll go? Because I, you know, you said that comment. You're on your bicycle backpedaling right now. In my mind, I... (laughs) Look look out going backwards. In my mind, I thought of a discussion question, and then I had to battle back and forth with, should I ask this question even though we're in reviews? So I just moved on. But now you brought me back, so I'm going to ask my question. Do it! Because you have these 15,000 comics, which I'll take as a straight number, uh, do you think you'll go back and and reread any of the things you have, or do you think it's more of a collection now? It's definitely uh, an unfortunately collection. <laughs> I view it more as a library to loan out to friends. But um, certain ones I'm rereading, like I told you about Finding My Joy, I yeah. I, I actually recently dropped every DC title. Uh, I, I've been a big DC guy for years, but I finally reached this sort of point of uh, of Nirvana. Uh, I'm like I'm just at peace with myself now, and I don't need to follow it anymore. Um, so I'm rereading a lot of old stuff. I do get one DC title. It's uh, Justice League 3000, which is a, an absolute hoot. I love that comic so much. It's so funny. Anyway, uh, so I am rereading. Like right now, I'm I'm in the process of reading Alpha Flight, 
John Burns Alpha Flight, which I absolutely love his Alpha Flight run. Um, I don't know why I'm like that one guy that stands up and goes, "Yay, Canada!" But uh, I really enjoy that series. So I'm actually going back and rereading a lot of stuff. Um, War of the Gods is not one that's high on my list, but Legends is. So. And who's who? And well, yeah, that's I'm committed to that. Unfortunately, oh. that's a two thousand. Seriously, we're doing. That's going to take like 2012 to 2018 to finish reviewing all of those. Really? One a month. That is insane. How many issues were there for 87? <sighs> There's only five in 87. Oh, then, okay. There was 26. Oh, you're saying everything? Yeah. There okay. Was, there was 26 issues of the first series, then five in 87, then three in 88, and then there was these annuals, and then there was the loose leaf edition, which went. I don't even remember, like 16 and then 3, and then we're doing who's who in the Legion and who's who in Star Trek and who's who in Impact and who's who in your mama, and just it just keeps going. It's just there's a million of these things. Did you realize that when you started? Foolishly, yes, okay. uh, but, but never thought in a million years we'd get past like episode 5. You uh, did? And now we're on the 29th episode of this thing, so. <laughs> no, you're on episode 1. Well, I, okay, fair enough. It is episode 1, but it is the 29th. Never mind. Your people don't care about the. Please edit all this out. Your people at home don't care about any of this. They're still wondering why does Stella keep inviting this guy back? I don't understand. It must be like some pity, you know. Uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Like you know, when you get in prison, community service hours. Like she has to oh, do community yeah. service hours by letting him on her show or something. She's got in trouble for doing something or whatever. I'm glad you went in that direction with the prison topic. Well, it's more like <laughs> <laughs> it's more like don't drop the soap. Yeah, it's more like, um, you know, I'm trying to give a starving artist a chance. By is that, is that what, on. There you go. And you keep <laughs> inviting me on, though. That's the sad part. It's true. But you keep accepting it. So who's the worst of the two? I can't turn down an invitation. I just, you know me. <laughs> oh, man. Well, how would you rate this? That's right. I got to rate this, don't I? It's a, uh, what's the scale? Fives or tens? ten. Out of ten, okay. Um, I'd give it five hawks, maybe. <laughs> five hawks, that's fine. Maybe, maybe 4.5 hawks. Yeah. Because, I mean, it wasn't a bad comic. No. There wasn't major, like, truck-sized holes that you could drive the plot through. That mm-hmm. I got all those words mixed up, but whatever. Um, although it would be fun to drive a plot through a hole. Anyway, uh, so it wasn't horrible, but it wasn't great. What about you? Yeah, I think I would give it six. Oh, okay. You're more generous than me. Yeah, just slightly. But that's because I liked the next issue the least of the three. (laughs) So wait a minute. 24 went up from there. So if you gave the Detective Comics backups, the eight pager and the seven pager, you gave those a three, you said? It was like a three and a half, yeah. And this gets a six. You must have really disliked this. I actually kind of liked those. Oh, well, we're going to have some talking. About that, then. All right, let's get rolling. Uh, But before that, we're going to do Hawk and Dove, number 23, Truth and Justice. And the cover date was 1991. And because I don't talk to strangers, I don't know what Mike's Amazing World says. I'm afraid. (laughs) I apologize, Mike. Just getting to know you now through this podcast. Uh, (laughs) Writers, Barbara. (laughs) Writers, Barbara, and Carl. You see, I say Kiesel. And you say Kessel. Uh, you're probably right, because I say I, I pronounce know. everything wrong, Stala. Well, so. <laughs> thank you. Well, we both say Reeve, though, so who knows. But I'll just continue <laughs> going with the Kiesel business. Uh, Pencil Greg Guler, Inker Scott Hanna, and Colorist Glenn Whitmore. 
So Dove and Captain Brian, a.k.a. Sal, or Sala, are on a date. And Sal is reminiscing about the first time that he met Superman, saying that no other hero comes close. No offense, of course, to uh, Dove, who's right there. Sal wants to know more about Dove, but all she says is that, well, apparently she fought a vampire before she met Hawk, and she's never smuggled plutonium. What is that about? Is that like a Back to the Future reference, maybe? I have no idea. (laughs) Meanwhile, at another booth inside the restaurant, Hank and his girlfriend, Ren Takamori, are waiting for some signal from Dove. And when the signal happens, Dove and Ren meet in the ladies' room where Dove turns back into Dawn. I'm sure you loved that changing scene, didn't you, Shaq? It was pretty hot. I mean, she's now when you say change, you got to make it clear to the reader. She's not doing the transformation thing where she goes dove and tra- she's just literally pulling off a wig and changing her shirt and she's standing there in her bra and, you know, it really works for me. So. Okay. So yeah, she turns back into actual Dawn by removing her wig, of course. And happens upon Sal and awkwardly sits at his table saying that some woman let the window open in the ladies' room, which insinuates that Dove flew the coop. Uh, see what it did there? Yeah, did that's there? clever. That's <laughs> clever. How long did, you, did someone write that for you? Or? No, I wrote that myself. <laughs> How rude. Elsewhere in Chinatown, Velvet Tiger is talking to Jimmy Tang, who says his receipts are down, but Velvet Tiger knows he has some in his desk, and she threatens him for it. Back at the awkward double date, Don apologizes that Sal's date left him, but something always comes up, and no one's seen the Titans lately. Which Easy for peaks, you to say. I know. Which piques Hank's interest, but no one else seems to care, which I found an amusing scene <laughs> right there. Back with Velvet Tiger, she and her new bodyguard, Sudden Death, who is now uh, a cue ball, if you know what I mean. For, uh, well, he's got a ponytail on the back. He d- No, he does not. Doesn't he? I thought he was straight bald. You know, I'm a bit of an expert on baldness. I should know this. Um, <laughs> cue ball. He is a cue ball, but I swore he had like a green. No, because he look. Okay, go to page twelve. Twelve. Okay. No, All right. That's not twelve. It's got a little number in the bottom corner and everything. <laughs> Comes after eleven, sweetheart. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, I, okay. Bottom left hand panel. Oh. See, in the back, he's got a mohawk and a ponytail. It's almost like he had the mohawk and they erased it, and then in that panel, they just forgot to erase it or something. So th- I think there's a, an error then. I think so. I think there's an inking error. So I, get, I should get like a no prize or something. Well, no, I, I would have to come up with a reason for it. Um, it was actually an illusion. He was casting his energy, cast an illusion of him having a ponytail. That's what that is. Okay. That, yeah. That's a great explanation, Shaq. Sure. All right, let's go back to the story. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so now Sudden Death is her bodyguard, and they're driving down past the street, past this double date, when suddenly some cyberpunks attack. And just, you know, cyberpunks, you're wondering what these are. Just think the teenagers from Dimension X from the 1980s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> so they seem focused on getting rid of Velvet Tiger for some reason. When Hawk and Dove appear and try to help her out, and then an injured Velvet Tiger takes a distraction as an opportunity to disappear back to her car. Hawk and Dove continue to fight the cyberpunks, and Velvet Tiger is surprised by one of them before the punk is possessed by Hacker, the brother of Velvet Tiger, a.k.a. Ward Gilbert. Dun, dun, dun. He says that he's going to cut the evil out of his sister. Boy, things have not changed from Detective Comics 518 to now. Dove swoops in to save Velvet Tiger, and Tiger shoots Hacker, but it really only affects the person that Hacker possessed. Dove then becomes upset at Velvet Tiger, and a future fight is promised, which we will see in the next issue. 
Then Hacker possesses the punk fighting Hawk. And while Hawk is outgunned, Dove gets a punk following her to crash directly into Hacker and take themselves out, which I thought was a great move there. So presumably, the cyberpunks are taken to the police station, and while Ren would like to spend some time with Hawk, he is, <laughs> he is worn out, so he takes a rain check. And at home, he checks the answering machine and again hears Don's voice saying he needs help to come back. Elsewhere, Babs and Marcy are watching a mystery show when suddenly a news bulletin breaks through talking about the attack on Lonnie Gilbert, a.k.a. Velvet Tiger, by the cyberpunks. And Babs gets a little heated and flashes back on her history with Velvet Tiger as Batgirl. Next is Shadows of the Past. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well... How'd you like that intro page, first of all? Because that threw me for a loop, because I thought that... The one with Superman? Yes! Yeah, totally. Like, and the at... title is even Truth and Justice, so I thought, oh, Superman's going to be in this comic. Why didn't I invite Michael Bailey on instead of Shaq? Oh! <laughs> wow. You're so sweet. Um, <laughs> well, at first, I, I was confused, too. When I saw Superman, I was like, oh, what's this? You know. But anytime Carl Kiesel's involved with Superman, it usually works out nice. But, yeah, so, and even in your recap, when I opened the issue just now as you're going through it, I'm like, oh, I don't remember Superman being in this. So, it caught me twice. Yeah. So That, yeah. that restaurant scene was so awkward. Yeah, let's talk about that. Oh, so, what's weird is that in the previous issue in the locker room, he was talking about sort of his confusing relationship with Dove, but then also mentioned to his friend that he had met this girl Dawn. Mm-hmm. And so you would think that he'd be out on a day with Dawn trying to get to know her and push past the, the troublesome relationship with Dove. But instead, he's actually out with, with Dove here. And then she does this weird switcheroo. And it's just weird to come upon somebody and just seat yourself at a table. But this okay. whole thing looks strange. Well, first of all, the fact that she can just put a wig on to look back and forth. Like, I thought when she transformed into Dove, she looked completely different. I didn't know she just, her hair color changes. That's all that happens. You know, yeah. and uh, in her shirt. So, um, yeah, I mean, Dawn showing up and being like, hey, big boy, your girlfriend went out the window. I'll sit with you instead. I mean, it's it's weird and it, it, it looks kind of desperate, honestly, because <laughs> she's like, well, you don't have a woman. I'll sit with you. And uh, yeah, it's 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 a little strange. And the fact that, well, I loved Hank just because Hank is being a man. Ren's all freaking out about it, but he's just like, are you going to eat those fries? Well, that that's sort of legit. I don't see what you're talking about. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, just the fact that we're I, both involved in this plan, but he clearly doesn't want anything to do with it. He clearly doesn't care. And and him and that cop don't get along, I think we learned previously, right? Yeah. And if this story is, in fact, just secretly a big love story that's building slowly, hmm. uh, then, yeah, he's probably not too thrilled with her being on this date anyway. But he's got Ren at the time. Yeah, so you think I don't know I don't know how into her he is. Okay. Well, I mean, remember, he did turn her down. He did, yeah. She wanted to go have some special time together. Yes. And and he said no. Yeah. She looks kinda of frumpy as Dawn. It's like is that like on purpose? I I don't know. Trying to dissuade him from dating her? Who knows? I don't know. Well no, not not as Dove, but as Dawn. As Dawn. Oh, as looks, Dawn. As yeah, Dawn. she wears clothes as kind oh, of like yeah, frumpy see. looking. Yeah. Well, do you think she was covering up? No, I guess not. She she was in her her bra there. I I don't know. She's I in her skivvies there. So. Yeah, at least her hair, which looks like oh man, what is that group? Something look- Phillips, Wilson Phillips. Oh my gosh, the lead singer. <laughs> <laughs> I had a haircut like that too because I liked the lead singer. 
Did it have a rat tail in the back? Uh, it may have been around that time. <laughs> but uh, but it's a good thing that her, her haircut covers up her white eyebrows. I was thinking the same thing. Is Yeah, isn't that convenient? Or she had blonde eyebrows and you just couldn't tell with the white hair. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Something but, about the white hair is really sexy. I don't know what. I don't know what it is, but it works for me. So, well, not many people have it. I mean, her storm. Can you think of anyone else who has white hair? Old people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now Maybe this I know says too much about myself. I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. The time has come to be a lover from the Argentine. To slick my hair down with brilliant time And goggle heavily with Listerine Wow! It's time for Max To put his backers on their backs And drill them with a those aging nymphomaniacs ah! They were helpless, they were hopeless Then along came Bialik They were joyless, they were boyless Then along came Bialik They're my angels, I'm their devil And I keep those embers aglow when I lose them, I can't lose them Cause I cast my spell and they start yelling Fire down below, so romantic They were frantic Then their prayers were heard up above Heaven sent them, their Bialy I'm the celebration of Max Bialystok! double date continues um, outside of course and you kind of feel bad for Sal but what can you do what I did find amusing was the whole Titans thing that somebody mentions Titans and Hank just zeroes in on this and then they they step off of the subject Yep. do you think this is because he was with the Titans at one point yeah I mean because he was a part of the Titans West and uh, him and his brother were 
which was like the the you know the West Coast based Titans team. And so I'm sure hearing them sort of perks up like his you know his team, if you will. And then he's he's all wound up about this Don stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's probably what it is. You know, the the play that I saw it was called "It's Only a Play." It had uh, when I went to New York City, it had Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane in it. Oh and, my god! Uh, you got to see Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane. Yes. How cool is that? Yeah. We were second row, second row from the stage. Oh my god! How did you do that? <laughs> you pay, unfortunately, a pricey fee. <laughs> basically but uh so they're all waiting he's uh matthew broderick's character had just written had written had written and directed a play and they're waiting he's with his friends they're waiting for for the reviews to come in and so sometimes they'll put on an imaginary television and you know the speakers will come alive and at one point waiting for the news to come on it, it started off saying tonight actress barbara Streisand was found and then someone clicked it off and Nathan Lane starts freaking out and saying it's Barbara Streisand what's wrong with you people because he wanted to know what what had happened to her mm-hmm. um, but that's what this reminds me of because Hank is sort of like what happened to the Titans what are you talking about but no one else cares right totally but anyways you seem so interested in that now we're equal <laughs> I want to hear more about the play, but it really has nothing to do with this. So I'm, uh, I'm trying to bite my tongue because I think Nathan Lathan's great and, and, oh, and yeah. Roderick and second row. There's a story in here, you know, but we'll hear it later someday. Yeah, someday. Um, let's talk about the cyberpunks aside from Hacker. What did you think about these characters and, and their story? <laughs> the less I thought about them, the better. Um <laughs> They Notice were like generic just, yeah. techno villain ninety one, and I I I can't remember their names. I can't remember their powers. I purposely glazed over them. It was just like, oh, look at that. Okay, you know, oh, that makes oh, that's clever. And then I I did spend a few minutes wondering, like, you know, I wonder if in nineteen ninety one some people were like, what's analog anyway? You know, and he's a yeah. system crash. What do they mean by that? You know, I it, I don't know. I guess it's clever. It sounds like how we thought the future would be. Mm-hmm. Like if you watch the old Max Headroom TV show, it does sort of sound like how they talked. But um, they were really silly. <laughs> so I assume it all comes from the tech, all their powers. Mm-hmm. Got it. I mean, they all seem to be cybernetic and you know, and and uh, cyborg. Like the one guy, the one kid's got a wheelie leg. <laughs> that he does. He reminds me of somebody. They really do remind me of the the teenagers from Dimension X, though. I don't even know what that is. Oh, from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's like okay. season one, episode something, something. Okay, well, see, I, to me, my, my Turtles was the original comics. Uh, so when, when the cartoon came on, I was like, I can't watch this. So, <laughs> oh, I, My problem with them, besides their, their, their gimmick, I guess, mm-hmm. it would have been okay if they had some backstory. Okay. Because, well, because I just feel like we're thrown, they're thrown in here, they're going after Velvet Tiger. You don't really understand the motives. You don't know how they got together. I, I guess we can assume Hacker brought them together, but there's no backstory there. So that's my problem is just something is dropped, but with no information to back it up. Well, you, you see that sometimes in comics, and I think this is a bit of an extreme example because there's so many of the characters. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the, they'll introduce a villain for the sole purpose of just moving the story forward. And so you get a very generic bad guy. Like Sudden Death is, is to some extent like that, like, like at least last issue. We knew nothing about him. He just showed up, had a fight, and got out. And we knew he didn't like Hawk. We knew they had a history. And sometimes comic writers would just introduce a completely generic villain with not even leading you to wonder more about them just because it moved the plot forward 
and he got the job done, and they got to have a fight that issue. And it almost feels that way with this, these folks, with the exception of there's so many of them, though, and they spend mm-hmm. so much time on them. Now, I want to talk about Hacker, though. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So his visual, like, I'm really struggling with his visual. Like, when they show up a close-up of his face on page 15 or 16, whatever that is, he looks like a combination between Sleepwalker, which is a Marvel character, his face at least, and that 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 um, bounty hunter on the Star Wars Clone Wars cartoon who wears a big hat and has a generic-looking face. Mm. But what's going on with his headpiece? Is he... Like, is that supposed to be, like, a cool cyber baseball cap? Is that what that's... Like, with a giant bill that goes out, like, four feet? Is that what that is? I don't know. He almost looks like um, the Grim Reaper. Yeah, but... But I I don't know. But it looks like a Grim Reaper wearing a baseball cap and a hoodie, but the baseball cap bill is, like, three feet long. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah, I can't tell what's going on there. Or is it, like, a a scarecrow hat? Maybe. it's really big, but... Yeah, it doesn't go all the way around. Exactly. Because you can see in that next panel on 15. That's yeah, I'm not like sure. A, that's why I think it's like a baseball cap. <laughs> well, now, I do like how Hacker can possess the people on his team. Like, he can take them over. Yes. And that's kind of cool. But then what happens to him at the end? Because does he get arrested with the cyberpunks, or is he just off elsewhere? I imagine he's off elsewhere. I mean, if, if Velvet Tiger's going to be on the loose, he's going to be. Because they go hand in hand. You can't have Velvet Tiger without him. At least, you know, in, in in a lot of ways. So I gotta imagine he's, you know, he's free as long as the story needs him to be. I one see. of those, one of those kind of things. With, you know. Which then I, I I wonder why does he not pop up in the next issue? Hmm. Well, there's that. Yeah. I, you had to go put logic to it. Well, I I just I mean we saw in five eighteen and Detective Comics five eighteen five nineteen a big plot point was his relationship Ward and Lonnie's relationship. And just that he loved her. He saw Velvet Tiger as the evil part, and his sister was good, and so he just wanted to get rid of and kill Velvet Tiger. So that characterization shifts over here. So when he drops in, and he's going after her, I mean, he said, hello, little sister. I said, I'd find you. I said, I'd cut out your evil side. So it's almost like we've traveled and it's in continuity with Detective Comics 518, 519. But then he disappears after everything, and that's it. Then we, we have more of the Velvet Tiger story, which if this is a Velvet Tiger-focused story, that's completely fine, but I, I feel like if you bring him in here, that's a big point that I feel like needs to be brought out more, and I, I think uh, it was a missed opportunity to just drop him after this. No, you make a good point, and I think I was just so tired of the cyber villains, I didn't <laughs> even notice that. Like It just psh, glazed right over it. So the fact that he checked out and yet she hung around, I didn't even pick up on that. Hmm. So you know you're right. They they to continue her story, they they should have continued both their stories together. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So. Now he's he's pretty. You say continues their story from the detective comics, but he is drastically different. I, he was just, yeah, he was I just a dude with, with a with a handgun before. Yeah. Now and he the, was like, I don't know, disillusioned almost. I mean, even Babs was like, "What are you doing? You're." You're an idiot. So, yeah, he is more forceful here, I think, and, and takes control, whereas the other guy seemed very fearful and lack of control in the detective comics. Yeah. Now, um, since we were talking a little bit about Velvet Tiger, we do get a hint about Velvet Tiger being something's good, different from her original appearance. Because like when she watches them, you know, watches the, the, the double date, she's sitting there thinking, you know, look at you guys. You're so young. Um, yeah, I should be like I should be like those kids over there having fun. 
and then she has those white, you know, those white moments where the white flashes and you, you figure out that she's doing something because mm-hmm. she says something like, you know, I don't have the energy to do that again. So you figure out she's got some new power that she didn't have before, before she just, you know, hacked into computers. Yeah. So both of them have gotten an upgrade here. There's a, um, a mention of Mannheim. Uh, he's mentioned in this issue and then in the next one. Uh, I don't know if you remember this. This was page seven. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Oh, okay. Or do you think we're talking about uh, Bruno Mannheim? Yeah, with Intergang. From Intergang. Yeah. 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 Okay. Because Car- I mean, Carl Kiesel or Kessel was tied in pretty closely <laughs> with the Superman books. Ah. Uh-huh. Don't laugh at me. Sorry. <laughs> you can laugh at me all you'd like. <laughs> and so it would make sense, especially at this period in '91 when the the Intergang stuff was really a big deal. It'd make yeah, it's got to be who it is. Okay. Other than that, I don't know if there's anything else. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not real helpful in this one. This one was just a Oh, that's fine. Was a no, this was my least finished. Oh, I guess we can't leave without talking about... Um, Babs. Yes, of yep. course. The last... And now she's with her friend, Marcy. Mm-hmm. And Marcy is someone that we meet in the Batgirl special, 1988. Oh, really? And uh, Yeah, she actually... Like a good friend, childhood friend. They they grew up. They, they would play superheroes together. And then Marcia ends up finding out later on that Babs was Batgirl and sort of tries to talk her out of it. And that's when Babs hangs up the, uh, no, lots of other stuff happens. But so it's all Marcy's fault? Part of it, I'm sure. <gasps> and part of the crisis and editors in DC Comics. But no, I mean, it's one, she gets somewhat supportive, but she doesn't think it's a good idea. But then Babs says that, you know, you're right, I think it's time to step down. But it's very ambiguous in how it's left because it's almost like she's passing over the mantle to Marcy, but that's not what happens. The killing joke happens. But mm. in any case, that's who this Marcy character is, so there is some backstory there. So it is good to see that we bring her back, and, and it makes sense since Barbara Kiesel or Randall wrote that story with Marcy, so it's good to see her again. And and then we get to see um, that angry that angry looking Babs mm-hmm. that we saw on some of the Suicide Squad covers. But but it's great that, that she's... Uh, so connected, I think, to Velvet Tiger that she gets so upset and, and almost bristles at it, and uh, she's she's ready to go. Well, part of it is, you know, the the that Velvet Tiger, you know, is out on the loose again and is one of her foes. Yeah. But the other side is she, if she could turn into Batgirl, she probably wouldn't be so angry. She'd probably be like, oh, That's I'm going to be Batgirl. But yeah. the fact that she now is in the wheelchair, this is probably probably her first foe. She, well, no, I guess she. Who has she encountered so far in Suicide Squad? Has she encountered any of her own the foes? Thinker. Well, but that wasn't a foe of hers from... Oh, of her own? Uh, yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah, none. So um, so this is the first time she's run into one of her bad guys and can't do anything about it. It's got to be super frustrating for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at least at this point, we have to infer she's in Washington, D.C. just to see Marcy and to help Marcy understand this, apparently, this deep TV show. Um, <laughs> and that's the only reason she's there. I, I thought maybe she was there to recruit... Dawn and Hawk this whole time, but here it makes it obvious that she didn't even know that Velvet Tiger was going to be in there. I can't even say Velvet Tiger without it sounding bad. It just <laughs> it sounds like a adult strip club or something. Oh, yeah. It does. It sounds terrible. Yeah, anyway. I'm sure there's some around. I'm going um, to have to go look. You, well, I wonder if Marcy's a mother because there's a ball and a teddy bear in that one panel. Hmm. It could be a dog, though. Oh, Potential, yeah. Yeah, she's a fashion person, it looks like, because I, there's a dummy in the room yeah, that, yeah. with a sash on or something. Yep. 
And it's funny you mentioned the, the deep TV show, but it almost reminded me of the classic detective comics with Babs in it in, in the Silver Age because between pieces, between parts and issues, the, the narrator, or I guess the editor, would say, have you figured it out yet? Because Babs has. And then, like, you have to wait for the next one, and then it's all explained. So it almost mm. reminds me of that. You know what? I think I just figured out what show they're watching. Oh. I think they're watching um, Twin Peaks. Because it's 1991. That's the right time for Twin Peaks. She mentions that this guy's got a serious coffee fixation. That would make a lot of sense. You probably have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? Have you ever Wasn't that a primetime soap opera? No, it was not a soap opera. I mean, it was was a drama. (laughs) um, And it was bizarre. Absolutely. It was David Lynch, I think, if I remember, it's the guy, the famous director's name who did it. And, um... Kyle McLaughlin plays this cop who goes into this really small town and there's been a murder and he's there the whole season trying to figure out the murder. But it is like it's supposed to be the biggest head trip. Like you're like, I don't even understand what I'm looking at right now was kind of how everyone felt about the show. And you can catch it on Netflix, uh, I'm pretty sure, or Amazon Prime or something. And a lot of people still love that show to this day. Just love it, love it, love it. And it was so popular enough they, uh, they released a film, um, which explained the backstory because it was all about who, mer- who murdered this teenage girl. And so I guess the, if I remember right, I think the film was after the series was over, and it sort of explained the whole thing. And there's some supernatural elements to it, and and he would he would always go into the diner, and it was either the pie or the coffee. He was always just like, mm, "That's good." I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Every day, once a day, give yourself a present: two cups of good hot black coffee, like this. like a great cup of black coffee. Damn good coffee. And hot. I was wondering if I might trouble you for a cup of strong black coffee. So. It, aren't they doing a new one, like a new part to it on HBO? On Twin Peaks? That would be awesome if they are. I thought I heard something <laughs> about that. It could, that. sure. I don't see why not. Oh my gosh. Anywho, I guess we'll do this last one. Oh, wait, we didn't even give a rating. I almost moved on. Too it's, your, it's your comic. you got to go first. Oh, do I? Yeah. Um, you did I the gave recap. the other one six. You gave it six hawks out of ten. Goodness. I'm a, like a 4.5 hawk. Okay. I think 4.5 out of ten hawks. All right, so you gave a 6 on the last issue, a 4.5 in this one. I gave a 4.5 on the last one. So I'm going to give uh, a f- – I'll give this one four doves. So Four doves? Yeah. Because, you know, she's hot. So. With or without her clothing? Both. <laughs> Showing. Yeah, it was winner. a trick question. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Oh, my. Okay, the last one. Hawk and Dove, number 24. The flame that burns twice as bright. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds so dirty. It sounds dirty. It does. How? Never mind. I don't want to get in trouble. Just go. Oh my goodness. It sounds like, I mean, maybe if it's like a firestorm, like firestorm's getting all worked up. Okay. Never mind. Let's just (laughs) go. I like the cover quite a bit. 
I did too like the cover. I was shocked at the vibrant colors on this. But I, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, whoa, what was I reading the previous two times? Well, anyways, Velvet Tiger's back and she is Shredder and she wants to control Washington, D.C. <laughs> cover date, 1991. And again, I don't really want Brainiac infiltrating my system, so I don't know specifics on that. Writers, Barbara and Carl Kiesel, penciler Greg Guler, Inger, Scott Hanna, and colors Glenn Whitmore. Velvet Tiger on the cover is looking hot, looking hot beating the snot out of Hawk. Really? I wouldn't say so. What, you don't think she's beating the snot out of Hawk? I mean, he's comatose, but we don't know how he got there. But it, I mean, he's, he's laying on the ground amongst the rubbish, <laughs> and she's holding his shirt, and she's got her hand cocked back, and she's going to cold cock him with her left hand, no less. Yeah. And then the shadow of the bat has fallen on her. Yep. Okay. Well, anyway, so there's all that info on the dumped on you guys. So here we go. Last issue of this little series. So Hank comes back from a rough day at college, which when I was reading this, they don't look like college students to me, but they're in college. And he discovers Babs being a creeper and working <laughs> in the shadows in his uh, apartment. And she wants Hawk and Dove's help with Velvet Tiger. So she narrates her past interactions with Velvet Tiger, as seen in Detective Comics 518 and 519. And she says that Lonnie and her brother were into extortion back then. But now, Lonnie has upped the ante, and soon she will be the new crime boss of D.C. Washington, D.C., not D.C. Comics. That's going to be Mike from Mike's Amazing World. He's going to supplant Rob, who's secretly Rob Dan DiDio. Oh, dear. <laughs> I was just about to do my Dan Dio impression again. Do it! Oh. <laughs> it makes sense that Hacker would go after Velvet Tiger. Notice there's a spelling error because in this one they they uh, spelled it H-A-C-K-E-R and in the previous one it's H-A-K-K-E-R. Probably getting ready for the Hacker files. Maybe, maybe. So he must have thought that this Velvet Tiger was an imposter and not actually his sister. But Babs wonders why she would choose this imposter, choose the identity of a 10-year-old child. I've got some continuity issues with this. <laughs> so Tiger relies on hired muscle and only cares about money and power. So Babs asks if Hawk and Dove will help her. And how does she know about them? Well, you could say she consulted an oracle. But Hank, yes, but Hank doesn't like the joke. And Babs further explains about Oracle without revealing her connection. And it seems that Oracle raided the Titans database, which sends Hank into a rage. And Dove sort of makes a comment about knowing Troya and giving her her phone number. Poor Donna. Uh, apparently, there's also something else happening in the new Titans, which made their system vulnerable. But only the editor tells us that. And I don't know what's going on there. Tom Panarese would know. Do you know? Um, no, I have not read this era, but okay. it, interesting that she implies she knows about it, so, but yeah. I, she didn't make an appearance in there, right? No. You could probably check Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics to find out for sure. <sighs> <laughs> so, Hank just wants Batgirl to take care of Velvet Tiger again, but Bat states sorrowfully that Batgirl doesn't exist anymore, for reasons unknown to all of us. Babs can pay an intermate. <laughs> the redheaded girl who's having this conversation about oh, it, who know. we know has only been in a wheelchair for a few months, is saying Batgirl doesn't exist anymore and she looks really sad. No one's putting that together. No one's doing that math. I know. 
Well, Babs can pay not with her body, but in information. What? Is that what she says? <laughs> I know. I just thought I would say to see what you what you would say. I, you, you know I think Babs is totally hot. Yeah, so. I know. So she used to live in D.C. She can help him out. And there's no one else that, of course, she could call. So I guess they're her last resort. For some reason, this makes something click in Dawn's mind that Babs is, in fact, the barber that was shot by the Joker. So they're like, oh, you're that Babs. Elsewhere, and this one's a little weird. Elsewhere, a party <laughs> is being thrown to honor Judge John Torson, and he's now an ambassador going to Brazil. He, along with Ray Hall, are Hank's parents, and then Don's parents are also in attendance, and they meet, and they talk about their children's relationship. Some people think it's romantic. Other people just think it's a brother-sister thing. Mm, see, there's the hints of the romance. I guess so. If they're watching Game of Thrones, it can be both, can't it? Oh! Anyway, later at Mazzelli's Motors Repairs, Mazzelli is hiding from Velvet Tiger when suddenly she and Sudden Death appear. Mazzelli tells his men to take them out, but in a flash, Tiger grabs all their weapons. Outside, Hank and Dawn, after listening to Babs and her info, are watching the goings-on inside the repair shop. Dove thinks of a plan while Hank acts as a distraction. So now it's Sudden Death versus Hank, round four, I guess, while Tiger is about to kill Mazzelli until a shadowy figure appears outside that looks just like Batgirl. Now this ruffles Tiger's fur. Huh? Huh? See what it did? Nice. Well done. Well done. <laughs> and she shoots at it, but she finds out later that it was a dummy. Dove swoops Tiger up while the fight between Hawk, Sudden Death, and Mazzelli's men rage on inside the building. Dove then suddenly passes out and wakes up. And Tiger explains that she has the power to step into a temporal pocket, a space between seconds. And this is why she has aged so much, because she is, in fact, the 10-year-old Lonnie Gilbert. Ew! Yeah. So Tiger plans to leave Dawn in the pocket dimension, but before that happens, Dove trips her with a steering wheel, causing her to land on her injured side. And suddenly they reappear in the real time where Babs, dressed in a black suit, rolls up, literally, and handcuffs Tiger. Mazzelli's people peel out of there, and Lonnie lets the heroes know that it doesn't matter. Soon a lot of evidence is going to pop up to implicate them instead of her. And Tiger threatens, Bab threatens right back, promising to take her down, and it sort of ends. You so, sure that's Babs and not like Black Widow in a wheelchair? That's funny you say that, because I also thought that was black widow-esque which mm -hmm. i mean she had the uh thing on her wrist mm -hmm. her, you know to shoot red yeah. hair black outfit you know, yellow belt yeah i'm not sure a few days later at georgetown university babs and dawn are walking through campus talking about lonnie and how she will bide her time until it's perfect for her to come back so dawn worries about babs but babs says she had a conversation with lonnie and she knows the danger that Babs' disappearance would cause for Lonnie's case. So Babs and Dawn say goodbye, and Babs thanks her for letting her be a part of it. And it seems like maybe Dawn knows a little something-something. Mm. Elsewhere, Hank gets another message from his dead brother, Dawn, who is asking him to steal a sapphire from the, uh, from the Smithsonian, which is necessary to resurrect him. And Hank swore he would never cross such a line but he'll do whatever it takes to bring him back to life. Isn't there an Evanescence song, Back to Life? Um, <laughs> it, it said it. I think that might be the title of it. It's the one from the Daredevil soundtrack, and I, I I've so. listened to it a zillion times. I know the one you're talking yeah. about. 
I can't remember the track name. Wake me up, wake me yep. up inside. Yeah. Wake me up, wake me up inside. Wake up, wake me up inside. start we're gonna start well I guess we'll start right at the beginning with this how would you feel coming home from a hard day at, at school or the office and walking in someone sitting there waiting for you it would freak me out but <laughs> again if it's a hot redhead maybe I don't know I'd be a little embarrassed that my apartment that there's soda can soda or beer cans all over the floor <laughs> and on the couch and, the and sock bowls of on the, and the sock on the lampshade just sells the whole thing I love it and, you know, it's funny that Babs doesn't mention it or even clean up for him. I, you know, I mean, I would, I would like She's the, not as made. No, 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 no. But, like, if I was in a place like that, I would feel like, like, I'm just going to straighten up a bit. Because it's just so <laughs> icky. It's like the type A personality in me. I would, I would have to straighten. I could just wouldn't be able to be in that. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> um, it would freak me out. But it's, you know what, forget that. Page three or page two with the Babs flashback yeah. is awesome. It is great. That's my favorite Batgirl costume right there, by the way. With the, bla- uh, the blue. The black costume with just the black, yellow bat yellow, symbol, the yeah. yellow belt, the yellow gloves, and then the, the blue cowl and the long flowing red hair coming out. That's my favorite Batgirl costume of all. And luckily, no weapons purse. <laughs> no weapons purse. That's right. <laughs> and there you go. There, See, there is Velvet Tiger. There's the cla- – yeah, that's what you're talking about. Yep. So, well, it go, you see more of it coming on where she's now got the, uh, the, the, the tiger suit is zipped down almost to her navel and you can see the black bra underneath. Uh-huh. Just saying it's kind of hot, but she's 10 now, so that's freaking me out. Yeah, I want to get into that. that that's going to be – I basically want to have a continuity discussion at the end okay. of all this. But, um, yeah, it, it was a little – I mean, you know I love Babs and this is a Babs show. But for her to wander into somebody's, even though she knows that it's a hero's apartment, I thought it was a little strange. Yeah, but think about it. As Batgirl, she's used to breaking into places all the time. <laughs> oh, she did. I mean, that's terrible. what the bats do. They break into places and, yeah. they spook, and they spook people. That's what they do. You know, and here, if, if she had been back in Gotham City, she, as Oracle, she would have contacted them anyway and she would have, like, busted through their communications. She wouldn't have just called them. She would have, like, took over their computer or their TV or their phone or something. Yeah. Been like, I need you to do this. So it's not all that different, I think. So it's uh, it's not out of line. It does. It is a little awkward just because we see her sitting there and you're like, oh. But uh, it seems to make sense. Now, the the thing I thought was weird, though, like, it almost seems like there's some word balloons missing. Because, like, when she's doing this huge info dump, um, they're talking to him. She, she's, she's, like, answering unasked questions. You know, in, in on page three in the third panel, she's like, what else? As if she's answering a question like someone said, what else? She's like, what else? You know, it's like, oh, sorry, Babs. I didn't know you were having a conversation with yourself. There. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. I guess it's also strange just to see, because she's Oracle now, be very proactive and out there, whereas she's been using her computer as the way to contact other people. So here she's actually, she's in action. And I think part of it is the reason that, I mean, she's there, she's in D.C., and then also we've got Velvet Tigers, so I think there are multiple reasons why. Yeah, well, and, out there. and Barbara Kessel probably wanted to write Babs again, not necessarily yeah. Oracle. Mm-hmm. And you just said it, Velvet Tiger gives them a chance to square off against each other. So yeah, you know, yep. it all. Even though you're right, it is a little awkward because we're so used to seeing her, you know, behind the computer. 
And she doesn't have her glasses here either, by the way. No, uh, she does not. But it all, you know, and Oracle's still still pretty new to people at this point, to writers mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. Uh, I, I do like how she she tries to do one of those cutesy lines to insinuate something. You know, uh, you could say I consulted an Oracle. And Hank just, <laughs> he does not appreciate that at all. He just wants answers. And then the whole Titans thing. I kind of wish I knew what was going on, but I guess it doesn't really matter. Yeah, probably not. 1991, don't know if that's a really good era to read anyway. So. <laughs> uh, but at least it's answered in two different ways that uh, she got their information. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess, and, yeah, yeah. Well, and the first time I read it, I just blazed through it fairly quickly and didn't pick up on that she kept her Oracle identity a secret. Mm-hmm. Like I, th- I thought, I was thinking like, gosh, she really was very cavalier with her secret identity there. You know, letting them in on the fact that she used to be Batgirl and she's Oracle. But then on the second reading, I'm like, oh, no, she just very carefully hinted without saying it. And any real world person would have put it together. Um, but they didn't because, you know, they're thick, apparently. Yeah. And I do like that, you know, she says she will provide them with information like she will pay them for for their time, which is great. Apparently not with her body. Not with her body, no. I just added that in there for you. But, you know, again... You're so so kind. (laughs) Yeah, well, I wanted to make it worthwhile. Give you some reason to pace around, you know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's... uh, The other previous times that you've been on, we've really been building up Oracle and her being able to reach out to any number of heroes. So, in this way... She's adding, I think, Hawk and Dove to her, almost her own little personal phone book of people mm-hmm. she could call. So I, I do like that with this whole conversation. Was Dove ever part of like the Birds of Prey before the uh, before Blackest Night? I can't remember. I, I don't remember her showing up. But yeah, I don't believe so. Okay. Right. Could be wrong about that. The one scene that I thought didn't work well with this. Uh, in terms of our story arc, I think it, if you go back to what you were talking about, about this romance, it works fine. But just the whole dance, not really a dance, the party scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the senator. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I don't have any uh, comments on it except that I didn't think it had a good place in this particular issue. Did you have any thoughts on it? I think it's cute that Dawn's parents both have white hair. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. That's Hank's parents. I got oh. that backwards. No, wait. Hold on. No, that's right, because the physical therapist. Right oh, we now. know your son, Hank. Okay, yes, so, I'm sorry. So, yeah. yes, Dolan's parents both have white hair. Yes, because they're older, but it's just a nice nod. It's, it's a good visual cue to go, oh, that's that's, Do- that's Dove's parents. Okay. Yeah, yep. So then we get to Mazzelli's and this fight, and notice how sudden death, uh, he's come equipped with his underpants. They're unstable molecules. I hope and, not. And she has unzipped her top more. <laughs> Only you would notice that. Oh, come on. No, look. Before, the top was zipped just to the cleavage point in last issue. Then in the flashback, it was zipped almost to her navel, but she was wearing like a whole black undershirt, kind of right. like you know, a V-neck shirt. Here, she is clearly zipped almost to her navel, and you, she's just wearing a black bra now. Yeah. So. Yes, okay. of course I'm going to notice these things. <laughs> come on. You noticed that, too. Don't pretend oh you didn't. Oh, gosh. Oh, dear. Okay. Well, don't make, me, don't make me feel wrong for this. <laughs> These were written for teenage boys, for God's sakes. Yeah, well, how old are you? <laughs> I have, I have my inner man child is about fourteen. Okay. Maybe eleven. So you've been stuck in a temporal pocket. Yeah, me, 
Me and Velvet Tiger, we hang out. Okay. Uh, oh, gosh, what a play date. Yeah, thoughts on this particular fight? No claws, no claws. Oh, gosh. Sorry. Any, any fun thoughts? Did you like this fight with Sudden Death more than the issue 22 fight with Sudden Death? With You mean with Hawk fighting? Yes. Um, I mean, it's it was fine. I, I did like that it was, I mean, the, the big bruiser fight of it. But I was more focused on the dove scenes. Yeah, I, 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 I wanted to know what the shtick was with this power. And personally, I just I guess I find Dove a more interesting character than I do Don, than um, Hawk. Than Hawk, yeah. Yeah. So find, finding out what she's doing with Velvet Tiger, and then when Velvet Tiger pulls her into the pocket dimension, mm-hmm. I found that very interesting. Yeah. Because you know, I like, would oh agree. wow, there's a time displacement. What's going on? How are they going to get out of this? How do they interact with the, with the society? You know, with the room around them. So. Yeah, and, I and it was so smart of. Dove to whip up that Batgirl dummy. Mm-hmm. Because I I had no idea that's wh- where it was leading. And at first when I saw it, I didn't know it was a dummy. I thought, oh wow, she put on the costume here. Where'd she get that from? But yeah, I, I thought that was just an ingenious way, and it was great to see that Velvet Tiger was still impacted by by this, however long ago it may have been. Um, criminals are a cowardly lot. So. I guess so. You know, it's interesting, the black and white scenes where they're in the pocket dimension, like when you see Hawk in that pocket dimension on page 17, it's like, when I see that, I can clearly see Rob Liefeld's influence on these characters. That really looks like a Rob Liefeld design there. And I didn't notice it until I saw it in black and white. Yeah. And I'm glad that, so now this is finally explained that whenever we saw these black and white moments, it was that Velvet Tiger was going into this pocket dimension. Mm-hmm. And present time was frozen, but she was able to move about and do what she wanted to with other things, which took a lot of practice, as she tells Dove. And then she would come back. So, you know, the first issue, freeze, she killed the guy and then disappeared, and no one knew that she was even there. So now it's finally revealed what these black and white panels are. Yep. So, so my problem with this whole thing is her being 10 years old. Yeah, that's a huge continuity change. And I, I, I can't I can't reconcile like it doesn't make sense in my mind. And I don't know if the only way because I was actually thinking of this as I was like driving and doing other stuff. Do we just drop the word crisis and that's what it changes? Thank you. I was actually going to say one word crisis. Yeah. And, and normally I would probably hem and haw a bit and go like, oh, is this a good reinterpretation of the character? And clearly this is a post-crisis, pre-crisis situation. Um, but when you've got the same writer doing both the pre-crisis version, creating the character, and doing the post-crisis update, it's kind of hard to argue. I mean, it's it's the creator's vision. So clearly she didn't envision the 10-year-old bit back in 1981 or whatever it was. But here, now she's saying this is the character she wants her to be now. So you can't really argue with it since she's the creator. Well, I am going to argue with it. and You, you can't. <laughs> I just told you, you can't. Well, my problem with it is if I can accept if it's crisis. But the fact that they pulled in a panel from way back when. Right. And that was, that was not a 10-year-old. And she didn't have her powers then. Hmm. So how is that explained? Are we just supposed to say that... Actually, when they first fought, she had these powers. She was already 10 years old. Because that's what doesn't make sense to me. Because you brought in this panel, I think that muddies the waters a little bit with the continuity. Well, you got to assume that that fight you know, went differently. 
you got to assume she's when she started this whole thing, she was ten years old. She already had her powers, and she had already aged herself to, you know, her t- at least her teen years by that point. So that she, you know, at least was developed enough to pull off that costume, I suppose. So you, you've got to assume that she. You just got to assume the story developed differently back then. I guess is all you can really do to make this work. And then yeah. it's weird if you if you take all that in consideration with her brother, right? And like how that works. Because in the original story, he was like older dude with a mustache and everything. Yeah. So if she was ten, you know, what is was this like? You know, a, a surprise child, and he's twenty six and she's ten or something. One of those things because he, he looks pretty old. He looked to be in his thirties or forties at that point. Yeah. So yeah, it's you got to assume that the story is just very, very different now. You know, in post crisis, and we don't know a lot of the details other than Batgirl had you know one encounter with. You know, Velvet Tiger at some point, and Velvet Tiger was already mature. That's yeah. all you can assume. So, Ugh. yeah, no, you, you, I mean, we could argue it and, oh, I know. Get, and get into the minutia of it and go, how could this be? Because you're right, because if she was already, let's say she's just 17, at the, at the, at the youngest, she's probably 17 in that shot, oldest in her 20s. But let's say she's at least 17. So, and that was several years ago, apparently, that they fought each other. So clearly, White Tigers or Velvet Tiger has been using her power since then. So she's aged even more. Right. So now, you know, if she, if she was seventeen, then what does she give the appearance of being a, a thirty-five-year-old now, a forty-year-old now? What's what's the deal? And if she is that old, you know, she's got to stop being a cougar and wearing those kids' clothes. Was she you know, seven then? Back then? Is she saying she's ten now, or she was ten when she started? Oh, I guess. Well, they say that doesn't make sense because Lonnie is ten years old. I mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Oof, oof, that's weird if she, if she was only seven when she started this. Oh, my gosh. Some weird, like... Yeah. And I'm just throwing out a number, but, I mean, if she's 10 now, mm-hmm. how old was she then? Or right. Or was she, like, old, like, 13? It's just, I don't know why you would do that. Why not why you... just have her... Well, just, like, two different ages, because she's mm-hmm. one age in the real world, one age in her little pocket dimension. Why not just have her, you know, one actual age? Yeah. Hmm. But uh, it, it reminds... A... Yeah. It's oh, a clever, well, as you say, it's a clever idea. It's a neat time travel idea that she's yeah. able to step out of time and she ages at regular pace. And so, therefore, she's lost several of her years of her life from the regular world in this pocket dimension. I mean, it's a cool, mm-hmm. cool idea. But you're right. Having the, the scene from the previous battle does kind of muddy the waters a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of Ileana, the sister to uh, Colossus and X-Men. Also she gets. That's a child. I thought you said no, you no, no. She that. she's an adult nowadays, though. Okay. No, but no, no. She, not when she was like fifteen. No. But she also she got stuck down there in hell, and like she when she came back, she had aged greatly. So that's sort of what this reminds me of. True. When she was in limbo. Yep. She she was stuck in limbo with Belasco and all that. Yeah. Crazy stuff. I like that. I'm character. glad you accept my Marvel references. Some people don't like me referencing Marvel. What? Why? It's one big happy universe. Who cares? <laughs> I mean, not. I mean, they're not literally shared universes, but I mean, yeah. it's yeah. It, comics are comics, comics, you know. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy what you read. Any other thoughts on this? Uh, you know, a big question I think that's not answered is how she got these powers, and I wondered because again, Mannheim is dropped. If it's just some sort of intergang like tech that she's got, do you have any thoughts on? Hmm. I hadn't gone that deep in it, but it, I guess that's possible. Maybe the, um, maybe she got the same her powers the same place Hacker got his. Mm. You know, maybe or maybe she got her powers first, and then Hacker went and made a deal to get those powers as well. Yeah. So I hadn't thought about that. I do say I did like 
one thing I didn't think I spent far too much time thinking about was the way Dawn's resolution was to capture the Velvet Tiger, which was to handcuff her to a pipe, which is very clever because even if Velvet Tiger stops time, she's still handcuffed to a pipe. Yeah. She can't get out of that. So I thought that was actually very clever. I I don't know if it's Dawn who does it, though. Oh, it's it's Babs. Yeah, because it's got the black I'm sorry. I was... I completely forgot. You're right. It's uh, Black Widow who did it. Yeah, Black Widow. Nat- <laughs> Natasha exactly. Romanoff. Yes, Natasha. In a wheelchair. So uh, you wonder, when with this scene where she's in the black and she's doing that whole thing, I mean, was Barbara Kiesel thinking maybe Babs could have a career as a wheelchair-bound superhero? I don't know. Okay. Well, because I, I was thinking a lot about this scene because I want, like, she shows up out of nowhere. She's got this suit on. Mm-hmm. as it, Like, she has some sort of intention. Right. Uh, to do something, and I hopefully that's just a hood, and it's not a little something extra, you know, like a, a cowl. <laughs> a but, pointed, pointed hood? <laughs> oh my goodness. But it seems like she goes out there to help them out, so I, I don't know if, if Kiesel had any intentions of pushing her along on that way. Because this is the most proactive, like I said, that she's been since she's yeah. been deemed Oracle. So You wonder how Ostrander felt about this story, too. You know, yeah. like, given the, the way he was writing her, is he like, what are they doing over there? Yeah. Hmm. I do wonder how she got over there. Car? I guess so. I don't see a car, though. There's, it's, <laughs> it's around back. Okay. She wanted to surprise them. Oh. And then, yeah, the nice last scene at the end, which I thought was a nice little wrap-up between her and, and Dawn just talking about Velvet Tiger, and I, I, I don't know if I have too much to say about it, except that it was it was a nice little ending. Well, there's one artistic nod that I really like in this scene, and it's just silly, but Babs has on fingerless gloves. Yeah. And you see, in real life, you see people who use wheelchairs wear those a lot. Right. Because you know, they're having to roll the wheels. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember ever seeing Babs wear those before. No. And I just thought it was a nice real-world touch. Yep. It's very true. Yep. Well, any other thoughts on... This issue or Velvet Tiger in general? Interesting villain. I liked the time shift ability, but now you've made my head hurt by trying to reconcile it with the old appearance. Well, Thanks for that. Yeah. You know, have to take some leave. But beyond that, the you know, first of all, hot criminal, you know, which is pretty cool. And she's, uh, but the, the time shifting powers were really cool. And I'm a time travel guy, so, and I have a weakness for redheads. And she's, hers is orange hair, I guess you could say. But so I'm interested to see where she appears again. Now, uh, you and I discussed Lobo. <laughs> right? Are you going to find your joy with the Lobo series? No, I'm not. <laughs> Do you want the specific number again? No. It was, oh, dear. Stop. It's just 1999. You got to sort through a whole 12 issues. No. I uh, I read Lobo when he first came out, when Keith Giffen was doing it. And there were many series, and they were crazy, <laughs> and I loved them. But very quickly, it sort of lost its appeal. So uh, it got a little old. You can only get fragged so many times. Right, totally. I'm glad you used that phrase. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> or see him taking care of his space, pe- uh, space uh, dolphins and, you know, and his fleet of penguins he stole from Santa Claus and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, I, you know, I'm interested to see what they did with her in Who's Who. And if she does show up somewhere else besides Lobo, I would probably check her out. So, yeah, I'd check her out. But. Oh, dear. Okay, well... What, what about you? Are, are you glad oh. you read Hawk and Dove? Do, do you Am I glad read? I read that? I'm glad I read it for Hawk and Dove and for Babs. But Velvet, I didn't really enjoy the Velvet Tiger appearance previously. 
this muddied the water for me and I just felt like there were three different stories and the only continuing thread was Velvet Tiger, but there wasn't enough. Like I wanted more information. Yeah. And I know that, the, you know, sometimes people don't want a lot of words on their page, but it just like the cyberpunk, you know, just all these questions of what's going on. How did how did we get to be here? Certain questions like that would be wonderful. Well, I could really do without more appearances of the cyberpunk kids. <laughs> well, yes, I agree with you there. I just want to know how they got their equipment and why they're going after Velvet Tiger. Hacker gave it to him. Where did he get the equipment? Manhunt. Okay. There we go. We've, we've rationalized it. Is there a who's who appear, uh, for a hacker? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'll look it up, but I really hope not. Oh, this is like our shtick now. Now that now you've got me on this uh, this IV drip of, of oh who's gosh. who episodes from you and Rob. I'm going to be asking all sorts of questions. So how much do I need to make the checkout for you to promote this for me? So. <laughs> Yeah, I've already promoted it so many times. Oh man! So, if what would you give this out of ten? Uh, it's a little better than one before. Actually, may I? I, I might give it five, five, five hackers. Okay. Five five, hackers. Wow, five hackers. Yeah. I'm gonna give it seven doves. Okay. I I did. I think this was the best of the three. To be yeah. honest. Yep. Uh, and, and I did. I do also. I'm glad they explained the the time powers. Imagine what this would have been like if they did not explain it. Right. Uh, so I'm glad they explained it. I thought that was a great scene, just with Dove trying to pick up the steering wheel and it not working, and and all of that uh, discussion. So I have a problem with the continuity in the ten year old business. I have an issue. Even if you say the c word crisis, I have an issue. Yeah. But, I can see that. But I, I do think it was uh, it was a good issue. So I will say seven. All right, all right. Well, the good news is Hacker does not appear in Who's Who. Good indeed. There, I bet there, Rob would have said next. There, <laughs> there is a Hacker entry, but it's for Jack Marshall from the Hacker Files, which oh. we'll find more out about, apparently. <laughs> apparently we will. I'm so glad you've already said yes. Oh, man, I shouldn't have left that open door invitation. Oh, jeez. Well, now you said, you know, I could... Email you the little sound clip of, well, whenever you have any of those odd appearances, just let me know. Well, folks, if all goes well, I'm going to get Stella on an episode of the Fire and Water podcast where we're going to talk about a tangentially related uh, Babs thing, if all goes well, right? Yes. I mean, I'm, I flipped through it mm-hmm. because oh, it's written by Barbara Randall slash Kiesel. Is it really? Yes. The amount of cheesecake in that thing. Yes. I I was thinking the cover, I thought, oh, man, Babs Tatas are a little too large for my taste. Oh, my gosh. I mean, everything is just absolutely ludicrous in that. I mean, I don't know if my voice can hold out long enough to say (laughs) how hot everybody is in that comic. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So I I want you to check your ratings to see how quickly they go down having me on the show again. And I want to know what your listeners say about my obnoxiousness <laughs> well they haven't commented yet okay on it it's because they stopped listening like 30 seconds in they're like oh, that guy are. well you brought people on to my like the martin gray he never listened to my show before yeah so you know you brought people and martin. maybe i've brought people now to yours i hope so that'd be great i it's would love like that. you know the podcasting world is one big std that just gets spread around holy crap <laughs> And there it is, folks. 
the door, sl- the sliding glass door <laughs> opened for a moment, and whatever is behind that door oh, that you can kind of see through the foggy glass just came out. That's what that was. That was that was the real Stella. It was an anomaly. It was the real Stella. That's because it's 1.15 a.m. I know. Yeah. We, need to, we need to go to bed. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Ed, please, for one last time in a uh, very professional manner, let us know where we can find you. Well, now that you've said professional manner, I feel all nervous because, you know, it's not <laughs> normally my style at all. But you can find me on the Fire and Water podcast. You find that on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, on, on that same thread, we've got the – or on the same feed, we've got our Who's Who podcast, the Hero Points podcast, Power Records podcast, Film and Water podcast, all kinds of extra podcasts out there for you to check out. Also part of the Who True Freaks podcast, which is a Doctor Who podcast over on the Two True Freaks network. I am part of the Legion of Super Bloggers. But the place you can find me the most is FirestormFan.com. That's a website I run dedicated to Firestorm the Nuclear Man. And you can find me on all the social medias. I'm up in that biznatch. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Instagram, and Tumblr, all as Firestorm Fan. Yeah, that's good enough. We'll just stop there. That's enough. That'll that do, was, Big. Yeah. Oh, thanks for the Babe reference. That was well, it. directed at me, not you. But. Well, as always, such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I feel smarter for being on it. Oh, wow. Um, I, I'm always appreciative of the opportunity. And uh, even though these comics weren't the greatest, I think it's fun chatting with you. And I think we bring two sort of different opposite uh, sides of a coin. So it's nice. (laughs) Yes, I would agree. I would agree with that. Well, until next time when you're on for Hacker Files, I hope everyone (laughs) goes over there and and listens. Because, yeah, I listen to Who's Who. And I I was telling you, I don't think I was recording. Well, everything actually recorded. But... Pre-recording, I was saying how, if you think about it, Who's Who is basically like a dictionary or encyclopedia. You'd think it'd be boring, but Rob and Shag make it really engaging. And I learned a lot just from A to C. So, with all those crazy people in there. You're too kind. You're too kind. Well, I'm going to take a short break. And when I come back, I'm going to review Convergence, Nightwing, and Oracle number two, and Convergence, Batgirl number two. But first, Zias' Radio Hour, featuring... Apocalypse Please by Muse.
Welcome back. I'm on my own again, and I'm going to review these final convergence titles. So let's see if Nightwing and Oracle keep up to the standard that was set with number one, and let's see if uh, Batgirl ends up keeping with that standard that it was set in number one as well. Well, first up, Convergence, Nightwing, Oracle, number two, Birds of Rage, conclusion. Writer Gail Simone, penciler Jan Dersima, anchor Dan Parsons, colorist Wes DeZoba. Babs brings the reader up to speed on the threats surrounding Gotham City, including the Absorbicons, a small army of flying Thanagarian spy cameras that see and hear everything, think brother eye, that double as nuclear cannons. Powerful drones created by Brainiac, but used by Telos and Hawkman and Hawkwoman, who plan on taking over Gotham City as a city of refuge. As the Thanagarians wait for Nightwing to arrive to battle, they are surprised to find him flying the Batwing towards them, and even more surprised to see him use it as a kamikaze plane. The explosion knocks the Thanagarians down, but they are certainly not out, as Nightwing, who is not actually in the Batwing, comes zooming towards them in the Rocketwing, a shielded motorcycle and a gift from Bruce. Nightwing ejects from the cockpit and goes to fight the Thanagarian couple. Meanwhile, at the clock tower, Oracle is speaking to a cloaked figure, explaining that she put a mic and camera on Nightwing in order to monitor the situation. Who knows when that happened? She knows the Thanagarians, or the Absorbicons, it's ambiguous, are distracted, but they are still listening, and this cloaked figure needs to only speak when it is time. Oracle leaves in a Batcopter. Hawkwoman and Nightwing tussle as she tells him how she read up on him and calls him a Tumblr, not to be confused with the website. Nightwing gets a piece of Hawkwoman, then Hawkman gets a piece of Nightwing. Suddenly, outside the clock tower, the cloaked figure disrobes and it is revealed to be Black Canary. Oracle has hooked a mic directly to the surveillance bots, and Canary lets loose with her canary cry, which damages some public property and nearly incapacitates the Hawk people, since their helmets are connected to the Absorbicon's network. Knowing now that Oracle didn't really back out of the fight, Nightwing goes to work to take out Hawkman, while Hawkwoman comes for Oracle. She sends the Batcopter careening to the ground, but Babs pulls herself from the wreckage to the conveniently located wheelchair and readies her Escrima Sticks. She taunts Hawkwoman that she has not earned victory and is merely picking up leftovers. While Oracle is just using this as a delaying tactic until her final piece is in place, she does find herself in fisticuffs but is somehow able to take Hawkwoman's mace. Nightwing appears carrying a defeated Hawkman, and Hawkwoman arms the Absorbicons to destroy Gotham. Hawkwoman touts that the Absorbicons are uncrackable, knowing how good Oracle is with systems. But luckily for Oracle and the citizens of Gotham City, the alien drones are not. Oracle's system kicks in and the drones begin destroying the Absorbicons. With Hawkwoman defeated, Babs offers an olive branch, allowing the Thanagarians to live in Gotham and preserve their culture. How nice of you, Babs. But if they even think about trying something like this again, they're gonna feel some pain. With Dick and Babs reunited, Babs resigns herself to this world because it will be them together and them making the best of the cards that they were dealt. She asks him to ask that particular question one more time with the feeling that she will say yes this time. We see Babs and Dick tie the knot with some other DC characters attending, and as they come home to the clock tower, Babs realizes that no matter the situation, love will conquer fear. The end. Well, the disappointing aspect of Convergence as a whole is, while the Convergence title itself is several issues long, each of these satellite titles are only given two issues. Now, sometimes two is all you need, and really, sometimes one is all you need. There are some amazing one-shots out there, but sometimes two can feel like the story was rushed. 
After all, if issue one is all rising action and climax, then issue two is mostly falling action and conclusion. Now for this particular story, I am of two minds. One, it could have been a single issue given the outcome of the battle, but more on that later. Or two, there could have been a third issue where more of Bad's plan is laid out and perhaps some part of it fails in part two. In any case, this two-part story does do a sufficient job to finish the story and bring an overall satisfying end to the Dick and Babs relationship pre-Flashpoint. Story elements that were introduced in the first issue, luckily and happily, were carried through here and almost made a focal point. While the Thanagarians were the major threat, the Absorbicons were equally dangerous, which I don't think we realized in the first issue. And unbeknownst to Nightwing, while he was dealing with one threat, Oracle realized that was only part of the problem and dealt with the Absorbicons in the only way she knew how, with computers. I enjoyed seeing the Thanagarians do their legwork and find out about Babs and Dick before coming to Gotham City, and therefore beef up the security of the Absorbicons. It seems like a really smart enemy we've got here. One does wonder, however, how the Thanagarians are able to keep Oracle out, but drones created by Brainiac, which is practically a living computer, were hackable, so that's a little strange. I also questioned Dinah's role in this particular part of the plan. I mean, was she just waiting at the clock tower watching the download status bar fill, or was she actually helping to break into the drone controls? And it's funny, because I just recently watched, or well, rented and watched Black Hat, starring Thor, Chris Hemsworth, <laughs> uh, which is very good, so it's funny that now I'm reflecting on these uh, the hacking and everything here. Black Canary's appearance in this issue was certainly a pleasant surprise. You know, her, her relationship with Barbara has always been one of my favorites, and I was happy to see that Babs does ask for help, despite not being forthright with Dick and his plan. It was also a nice role reversal, because if you think about it, Black Canary, she had to remain at the clock tower while Oracle went out and was on the ground. And in pre-Flashpoint, Canary was the mission leader for the Birds of Prey. She'd be on the team while Oracle remained in the clock tower, adding technical support to the team. Now, when Canary let loose her canary cry, I did wonder how Babs was able to attach a mic to an Absorbicon in order to magnify the cry. So, just, just something there, as well as tagging Nightwing in. When did that happen? But, you know, the whole plan was a brilliant plan. And it only seemed slightly hollow, I think, because we had just recently seen this exact same thing happen in the pages of Batgirl 40 with Dinah and the Hook drones. So, that's my only qualm about that. It's amazing to think that Oracle had this plan ready from the word submit, but completely believable given the character. Now, I still have reservations about her hiding her plan and the fact that she was fighting at all from Dick. I mean, what purpose did that serve? Did she think he would tell her no? Did she think he wouldn't be able to pull off his part if he knew she could be in danger? At this time, after all these years, these two are a well-oiled machine and should be able to pull off anything, no matter the stakes. Babs being deceptive creates inner and outer conflict where there really should have been none. So, I mean, why add one other unnecessary thing to an already dangerous situation? There was also no fallout from this lie. The ending is a short discussion on perfection, a proposal in subtext, and a marriage. Shouldn't Dick and Babs have had a discussion on her methods and her deception? Hmm? I also feel like this issue makes the first issue a liar. Now, if you remember, Nightwing was pretty easily taken out by Hawkman in the first part, and Babs, while perhaps a lie, protested to Dick that she could not fight Hawkwoman. I love the fighting in this issue. I think it all played out well, but looking back, it doesn't really make sense why Dick and Babs couldn't have physically taken the Thanagarians out right away. Wouldn't that have saved Gotham some anxiety? 
But hey, that doesn't happen. And I will continue to say that the way each of our characters fight is unique to them, and I was certainly happy to see it all play out. Dick shows a little bit of Bruce in him with the, the play, with the, the Batwing and not really being in there, and I like that. And I like how his Tumblr nature is both highlighted and underestimated by the Hawk people. Babs is also underestimated, but hey, that is her character, isn't it? And while I do question how she was able to survive the Batcopter crash, drag herself from the wreckage, find her wheelchair unscathed, and why was her wheelchair there? I'm glad she brought her Escriva sticks along. It was great to see Babs dole out some of that Oracle justice that we've really not seen in a long time. So if you break down this issue, it really comes to two parts, the fight and the aftermath. The aftermath itself, while only the last third or quarter of the book, is equally important, I would say, as the lead-up. As Dick and Babs are champions, we can assume Gotham City is saved for the time being. But, do you think it's wise to offer the Thanagarians a place in the city? Sure, it's a nice and hospitable thing for Babs to offer, but she herself said that these are not like the Hawkman and Hawkwoman she's known. Rather, they seem more like conquerors, and that's in quotes. Despite their defeat, do they really seem like the type of people who are going to let this slide and not try to rule once more? What good is a verbal warning going to do? I think welcoming these people is a dangerous idea, but other than exiling them from Gotham, I don't really have a solution. And it's interesting if you think about the Batgirl number two, because what happens at the end there is that those weird orbs come back and take the other champions away back to their homeworld. So why doesn't that happen in this particular book? Is that happening elsewhere in other books? Is there not as much consistency between these tie-ins? Like how if one person is defeated, where do they go? What happens to them? Uh, so that's something to potentially think about or me research because I've only read a couple of them. Obviously Nightwing Oracle and Batgirl, but I've skimmed through other ones as well. But you know what happens to the fallen champions? In the previous issue, we saw how Gotham had changed both physically and psychologically, and we saw that people like caged animals were growing restless and having trouble living in this enclosed environment. Now, Dick seemed like he was adjusting just fine, but Babs was one of those people. And this was the main reason for the initial proposal rejection, and perhaps her actions with the Thanagarians at the outset. So much attention was paid to this state of mind that another character was brought in to echo Babs' emotion, and that was Mr. Freeze. So why then are we given only one page to resolve this? Dick says that the underlying issues that Babs lives, quote, for perfection and whatever this world is perfect, it most definitely is not, end quote. Babs acknowledges this, resigns herself to the situation, and they move on. How about what? Barbara's desire for perfection is not the issue that was laid out previously. If that were true, she would be struggling big time. Because nothing in pre-dome, post-dome, whatever dome is perfect. Her issue was that she was living in a place where she had limited control. There were too many unknowns surrounding the situation and she felt almost claustrophobic in the confines of Gotham City. This is not even addressed here. Instead, she just applauds Dick for knowing her mind and resolves to be okay with the situation. That is about the only thing that makes sense here, because finding a way to live with the hand she has been dealt is something that is a trait of the character. Think of all the times she's been pulled down only to work through and overcome it, losing her congressional seat, her fight with the Comorant, losing the use of her legs, etc. I wish we could have seen more of a discussion or challenge in the relationship here, because I think this only scrapes the surface. 
Also in this conversation, we get a complete change of heart in Babs, who is now ready to accept Dick's proposal. Now, don't get me wrong. I love that there's a happy ending in it for these two, but what actually made her change her mind? Nothing has changed from when she said no. Dick was never in life-threatening danger that she would realize nothing is more important than their love. The dome, which seemed to be our main problem, hey, it's still up. So why? The outcome is great, but I think the lead-up is weak, which makes it seem like the whole purpose was to wrap it up nicely so that these two are together in the end. Wouldn't it be better if it made sense and flowed organically? Now, Dick and Babs are my OTP, my one true pair in shipping fandom, and I certainly was not disappointed with how they ended up. But there were some hiccups in the story that could have unnecessarily created problems from them. Simone comes through with an interesting story that showcases the strengths of both of these characters and leaves fans satisfied with a sweet ending that we may never see in the post-Flashpoint cough new 52 cough universe. Overall, I enjoyed this story more so than the first because it was more streamlined, had less superfluous elements, and had the classic Birds of Prey or Nightwing feel to it. Nevertheless, there were some story elements, of course, that did not quite add up and probably needed to be retooled, but hey, I'm going to give this a 9 out of 10 bats. Next up is Convergence Backroll number 2, The Love Song of Stephanie Brown, Part 2. Writer Alyssa Quitney, penciler Rick Leonardi, inker Mark Pennington, and colorist Steve Bucciolato. In the present, Grodd is pommeling Catman, Batgirl, Black Bat, and Red Robin. Yesterday, the Bat Trio just arrived in the desert and wonder who Steph's challenger is. Briefly, she contemplates whether she will face someone with psychic powers and how to combat them, then switches gears and wonders if her opponent brought someone else with him slash her, just like she did. Back at the present, Catman explains how he and Grodd came to be in the desert. Back at the present, Catman explains how he and Grodd came to be in the desert. Catman and Grodd were facing off in Cape Town, and Catman took a side trip to Gotham, on another Earth, for some weapons, and Grodd followed. The dome went up, trapping them together, but Grodd was without his powers. Then the dome dropped, and the fight continued, but before a finishing hit could land, Catman and Grodd were pulled to the desert by those orbs. No time for reminiscing further, as Cassandra is grabbed by Grodd. Steph tries to make a trade, but Grodd doesn't go for it. As Steph and Catman seem to be the last ones standing against Grodd, Steph flashes back to yesterday when Tim was actually kind and there was a nice moment. Suddenly, Tim wants to talk, which surprises Steph since she wanted to talk, but he always shut her down. Tim never stopped caring, but when she stopped being Batgirl, it took away a common denominator. But hey, there's still a chance now! Quite rightly, Steph decks him. In the present, Batgirl and Catman continue to fight Grodd while Tim is mind-controlled. Steph realizes this fight will go on indefinitely unless one of them, Batgirl or Catman, gives up the preordained fight. Steph was going to volunteer, but since Catman's friends are dead, there is no city to fight for, so he lets Batgirl hit him and the portal opens to take him and Grodd back to their Earth. Later, at a Gotham hospital, Steph, Tim, and a guinea pig, ooh, a guinea pig, wait for Cass to wake up. When she does, she can't handle the Tim Steph shipping. So they end up following her directions and get a room, but are too injured to do much of anything. So they just end up holding each other. Oh, The end. Well, this issue is definitely less of a train wreck than the previous part, but it is still all over the place. The first issue had so much exposition in it that this one seems to speed along with action and conversations, but with no clear end in sight until the end actually happens. I'm glad we get to know why Catman and Grodd are there in the desert with the bats and the bird. 
and it took up enough space to be clear and not so much that we would wonder why we are talking about these things when we could be following Sephira. So good job on time. The back and forth of the timeline between yesterday and today is jarring. Think Tale of Two Cities. And while they connect to things mentioned or thoughts, I do think the story would be stronger if it were linear. And this was a complaint I had in the previous one. In a way, this seems like a completely different story from the previous issue because... While Steph still seems to second-guess her abilities, Tim here is more supportive of her and tries to encourage her. Cass, on the other hand, seems either emotionless or angry. The connection between her and Steph is non-existent, so that didn't really change from the first issue. I like that there's a team up in order to take down Grodd, but I don't think Grodd was used well here. He's powerful in so many ways, but his telepathy is used poorly and only once. It could have been interesting to see Grodd use everyone to either attack Batgirl or Catman and then seeing how those characters got out of the situation. It's odd that Grodd doesn't focus his attention on Catman alone since that is the person who was fighting under the dome. The others could have just been used as fodder, but I guess then, hey, this would have had to have been a Catman book and that wouldn't have made sense, hey? In the end, Catman is the one to volunteer surrender, and the whole thing seems like a cop-out. Grodd is not really defeated in the end, but is merely brought back to another Gotham and is seemingly destroyed with Catman and the rest of the city, which again gives me pause because, well, I guess, I, I don't understand how this, what happens here, how does that compare to what happens with Nightwing Oracle and people are able to stay, their world may be destroyed, so the, these people here, are, they get to go back and be destroyed with their world. How does that make sense? Not, there's no consistency. Catman basically sacrifices thousands of lives just because there's no point in fighting if all his friends are killed. What type of person does that? I would at least have wanted Catman to defeat Grodd, then sacrifice himself so that at least he was able to avenge his friends' deaths. But no, I'm okay with killing a bunch of people. How ironic, and perhaps unbelievable given her characterization here, that Steph was the one to stay standing the entire time, and Tim and Cass get incapacitated at different points, even though they thought they were each more worthy than Steph. Take that, you two. And isn't it ironic? Don't you think? It's like rain! Let me not leave here without talking about the Steph and Tim shipping. While I enjoy shipping, and these two do in fact make a cute couple, it's certainly not the time to be discussing past mistakes or feelings when you are in the desert with unknown assailants coming after you. That, and the fact that what Tim says is plain ridiculous, practically saying that the only thing they had was their costumes and fighting, and of course they weren't going to make it as a couple without that. What? This does not seem like a good foundation for a relationship. People take note. In the end, they do get together, and while it seems sweet, the whole idea underlying it is the fact that they could die slash their world could end tomorrow. Are they merely seeking comfort in each other's arms? Is there nothing else? Is there no one else? Is there no one else?
The writing took the romance and heart out of this relationship, making it based on mutual need rather than desire. So while this may be a better issue than the previous one, I'm still only going to give it 5 out of 10 guinea pigs. It's a weak story with aspects of the plot that just don't make sense given the characters and backstory involved. And it's also a travesty for any Steph and Tim Shippers out there, so I apologize to you. And, uh, well, the art is not the best either, sad to say. So, unfortunately, while people may have been excited to see these three characters together again, it would have been better to not see them at all, I think. Now over to Chris for his Batman 66 review. Hey, thanks, Stella. As always, I appreciate you letting me give you a little break. Hello, Bat fans. Welcome once again to the Batman 66 review segment. I'm very glad to be with you today. Thanks for downloading. And as always... Thank you for not fast-forwarding. I'm Chris, and this is the segment where I review the Batman 66 title. I have an interesting one for you. Today I'll look at Batman 66, number 23, cover dated July 2015. The cover art was provided once again by Michael and Laura Allred. This issue was also available with a blank sketch variant cover, and the contents were originally released in download format. There are two stories in this issue. Both somewhat similar, one bringing an existing DC Comics villain in Batman 66 Comics continuity, and the other taking a Batman 66 TV villain, giving him an origin, and taking some elements of a comic book villain in Batman's rogues gallery, and modifying him in Batman 66 continuity. Are you still with me? The first story is entitled The Groovy Grave of Solomon Grundy, and is written by Jeff Parker and art by Jeff Schoonover. When we last left our heroes, they arrived at Gotham Cemetery where Hilda the Witch, and of Marcia, Queen of Diamonds, pours a potion over the grave of Cyrus Gold, a former Olympic wrestling champion and husband of Marcia's, to revive him from the dead. She succeeds and the body revives and is now the monster Solomon Grundy. Grundy fights the heroes and Hilda tries to escape but falls into a grave. In the end, Batman manages to paralyze Solomon Grundy by attaching a cable to him from the Batmobile's atomic battery, using it as a defibrillator, and Anne Hilda asking for help out of the grave. The last story is entitled The Final Form, and is written by Jeff Parker with art by Giancarlo Caracuzzo. This time, our heroes have tracked False Face to quicksand-laden marshes, where Batman tells Robin, and the readers, that Falseface is really criminal Basil Carlo, and he just ingested a chemical that will affect his body's cellular structure. Falseface disguises himself as a security guard, but is unable to hold the form long and is chased, and falls into quicksand. Our heroes think that this is the end of him, but it's short-lived as Falseface emerges from the quicksand pit, and is now calling himself Clayface. A battle ensues with Clayface spitting his clay forms into separate beings now and being a villain as well as his own henchman. He manages to remove Batman's cowl, revealing Batman's face to be that of Basil Carlos, a mask which Batman had readied in case he needed to trick or confuse Falseface, causing Clayface to go into a catatonic state in an anticlimactic finish. As mentioned on an earlier Batman 66 review, Malachi Throne portrayed False Face on the Batman 66 TV series and had numerous stage and TV credits, including Star Trek and co-starring with Robert Wagner on It Takes a Thief. He passed away in 2013 at age 84. Estelle Winwood played Anne Hilda on The Batman Show and appeared in numerous stage productions, TV shows, and movies, including the Twilight Zone episode Long Live Walter Jameson and the 70s comedy film Murder by Death. She lived to 101 and passed away in 1984. 
I initially had some problems with the Clayface story. Why turn False Face into Clayface when essentially this character had the same abilities already? And does this tarnish in any way the legacy of actor Malachi Throne's contribution to the Batman 66 TV series? And since Matt Hagen would have been the most then-current incarnation of Clayface in Batman comic books at the time of during the original run of the Batman 66 TV series, why couldn't Hagen be Clayface here? It is worth noting there was a false face villain who appeared only once in a story in Batman number 113. That story was reprinted in Batman number 198. It was probably easier to use this false face character for budgetary reasons in a live action show as opposed to the Matt Hagen Clayface. Also, fans who discovered Batman from the 90s Batman TV animated series knew of the Matt Hagen Clayface initially, and to them, that is their Clayface. But another way of looking at it is the Batman 66 title is in trying to incorporate the current incarnations of the Batman villains, which would be the Basil Carlo version of Clayface, and still be faithful and pay homage to the older version of the character. And to be fair, several versions of the Clayface character have existed, and discussing each of them could take up an entire podcast or more. The first time Clayface appeared in comics was in 1940 and had no morphing powers. The name Basil Carlo was an homage to then-movie actors Basil Rathbone and Boris Karloff. I like Schoonover's art in the first story. I thought it evoked the depiction of the characters of that time. Solomon Grundy looked inspired by Murphy Anderson and Batman and Robin inspired a bit by Carmine Infantino. Caracuzzo's art on Clayface was reminiscent of that of the 90s animated series. I think I would have enjoyed this issue if the stories were not so similar. Both stories started with our heroes arriving by Batmobile to a spooky outdoor venue tracking a villain. Both stories had Batman bringing the reader up to speed with wordy narratives as to the what, who, and why. Both stories only had one setting. And both stories had our heroes fighting a giant, physically superior foe. There were some nice touches. The Grundy story had tombstones with the names of former Batman artists. The False Face Clayface story did give a nod to Malachi Throne, and the All Reds cover was very nice. Still, the similarities and repetitiveness of these stories in the same issue were too much for me to forgive, and I am giving Batman 66, number 23, just 6 out of 10 bats. Over on the TBU website, Ryan Blair gave these stories 3 and 4 out of 5, respectively. If Aunt Hilda appeared in this issue, can Marsha, the Queen of Diamonds, be far behind? What villainess who first appeared in the 90s animated TV series will appear soon? And what other villainess who first appeared in Batman comics during the Batman 66 airing will now make her 66 debut? These sexy scoundrels to be revealed soon. Same Stella time, same Stella sight. Thanks, Chris. And finally, it is my literature recommendation. I've actually read a bunch of books, so I'm actually just going to go through them quickly because I'm continuing on my crazy reading list. My goal this summer is to do N and O, and I just finished O, so I just have to do N, but it has Nietzsche in it, so it's going to take a long time, I feel. First of all, I, well, I, I'll go in, I guess, the order that I've got on my list here, but How to Breathe Underwater by Julie Oranger, a series of short stories, and what I really like about them is dealing with, well, there, there's 
a couple like adult people that are adults that are characters mostly dealing with kids teenagers in that realm and sort of the the things that they go through now some stories you know not every day you would probably come upon this but there are a couple bullying stories in there i really liked notes to my sixth grade self and just all the stuff that she as a sixth grade person went through and like the bullying and everything so really some good and they're they are fiction so they're not real who knows some of the best fiction is of course coming from real life so i don't know if she experiences or not but some of them are are really good uh, just looking at teens and and kids and the lives that they are dealt and and how they deal with those lives when the emperor was divine by julie otsuka which is about a japanese family during world war ii and their time in an internment camp old school by tobias wolf which takes place in the 60s is about a boys prep school and uh, this lead character really wants to be a writer and then there's some plagiarism and crazy stuff happens so i definitely recommend that if you like movies like old ties or the emperor's club any sort of school movies like that and a room of one's own by virginia wolf which is basically a long essay on female writers basically and and what what does it take why aren't there a lot of them at the time that she was was speaking and writing why aren't there a lot of them and <laughs> what does it take for someone to be a female writer or well a writer and an and uh a popular one at that and she says basically a woman needs money and a room of one's own and then she goes off to talk about William Shakespeare's sister and that's certainly interesting that's what it's well known for even though it takes up a very small portion of the actual essay and then the shadow of the wind by Carlos Ruiz Zafron and this was great it takes place in Spain it's about a, a boy who for his maybe his 12th birthday goes down to this these catacombs almost of books and picks out a book and then it's how his life is entwined with this particular book and the mystery of the author and everything so i recommend that and not on my reading list but i did finish or read william shakespeare's antony and cleopatra because i'm going to see that performed later in june and i think that's about it i did go i didn't talk about this in the beginning but i went up to my my yearly new york city trip i go up about every June to see one thing and I saw it's only a play which is now closed I saw it closing weekend it had Matthew Broderick Nathan Lane Stalker Channing and T.R. Knight and F. Murray Abraham yeah it was really good it's basically a writer and director of a play and his friends are, are basically waiting for reviews and it turns out the play wasn't very good but they're it's main it's a comedy like it's it's basically touted as a comedy but i probably discussed this play with a friend that i went with more than all the other shows that we've seen because it, it had a lot of deep thoughts within it you know characters making he said you know let me get off my soapbox now but going on diatribes just about theater and the culture and the present culture that we're living in and, and how theaters could be knocked down to put up a hotel and sort of the British invasion of Broadway because and it's inter it's ironic because where it's only a play was it was between Helen Mirren in the audience which is from London and Carrie Mulligan and Bill Nye in Skylight which is from London so the thought of that and and 
the types of plays that are coming on and the audience members and these plays that want big names, which is interesting because you've got Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane here. So it, 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 it had a lot of good thoughts that were brought up. And, and I almost wondered how much were these actors buying into what they were saying or was it just, you know, this is just my monologue here. But very good. Very good. Uh, you can always buy the play by Terrence McNally. Of course, it was updated here. He, I think it was uh, written in 82, first put on in 86. Of course, it's 2015, so many cultural references were put in there. Kelly Ripa, uh, her face got bit by a dog. <laughs> That's what happened in the play. So I don't know who the Kelly Ripa character would have been in 1982, but you can certainly read it. And it'd be, I think I would almost like to read it, actually, to see what changes there are in, in some of those diatribes, the soapboxes that were put out there. Okay. Well, that's it. Kind of feels weird getting back to my normal day-to-day episode after 100, but here we are. So remember, you can send any questions or comments to backworldtheoracle at gmail.com. Thanks again to those who consistently write in, and I, I really appreciate it. Like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at Oracle. Like the Batman Universe on Facebook as well. Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Backworld the Oracle, the Barbagorn podcast. And until next time, stay out of the heat. Fly on, Babs lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Love a happy ending, don't you? I'm sure we could talk about Velvet Tiger for. Uh, has she popped up in a Who's Who? Not to my knowledge. I'll look real quick, but not to that I know of. Goodness gracious. Um, there's a. <laughs> she doesn't deserve one! I'm I'm going to try and be positive about these comics, but I just don't know. Okay. <laughs> they weren't that good. Yeah, so. I didn't, yeah. Sorry you had to uh, <laughs> read some not good uh, comics. Oh, my gosh. She did have a who's who entry. <gasps> really? What year? This has got to be probably the 92 or 93 update, it looks like, based on the drawing. And I even kind of remember now that I see it just barely. I'm like, I, because we, uh, right now we're only in the 1987 stuff. Right. I hear Geico. Is that you or me? That must be, oh, that's me. I'm on this webpage. <laughs> Got a Geico ad. I'm like, where's that coming from? <laughs> anyway, yeah, it looks like she probably does have a, all right, hang on, I'll find out. Oh, goodness gracious. That oh. means you'll have to cover her sometime. Uh, I do have to call, talk about it sometime, don't I? All right. Um, hold on. I have a, uh, hold on. Who's who? I do have some info to drop about um, the Hawk and Dove series. Oh, so. I'm I'm glad to hear that. Um, and I will try to, you know, go uh huh, or I don't know, because <laughs> Jacob was saying that it sounded like I was bored, and I said no, I was interested. I'm sorry I wasn't coming across as engaged. You did sound bored. But that's okay. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh no! Well, I don't know what else I'm supposed to do except for going uh huh. 
You just go, uh-huh. Shag, that's fascinating. Okay. Says, Which, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, she, yeah, she was in issue 10 of the Who's Who Loose Leaf edition from June 1991. So, wow. Well, something to look forward to then. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who um, Ashley Eckstein is? I don't. She would, I wonder, I'm trying to think. She's a, she's a very, very, very positive female role model for young girls right now. Although there, she's no crossover with comic books whatsoever. But I don't Is know if you're... Disney Channel? No. Well, I guess it's becoming that. But I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan at all. Um, I am. Okay. You ever seen um, Star Wars Clone Wars cartoon? Uh, pieces. Okay. That's okay. Uh, I, I'm only vaguely familiar with it myself. Uh, there's a character on there whose name is Ahsoka, and she is one of the main characters, and she is uh, Anakin, the guy who becomes Darth Vader. She is his apprentice, mm-hmm. and she's a very popular character, a very positive female character for, for young girls, which I pay a lot of attention to with my daughter. And anyway, um, and this girl named Ashley Eckstein does the voice for it. Well, she went to a bunch of Star Wars conventions and noticed there wasn't a lot of merchandise for young girls and for, and for women in general. And so she started her own line of clothing called Her Universe. And it's all geek you know, clothes for girls, either young girls or adult women. And it's some of the coolest stuff. And she is so nice. She is so – like there's absolutely no superstar you know, shine on her. I mean she's beautiful. But I mean but as far as like being snotty or anything. Mm-hmm. Like I went up and bought a shirt for, for my wife at one point. At a, this was at a Doctor Who convention. She was there too. And she's the one working the counter. And I'm like, and you know, she's a TV voice superstar. You know, at this at this event, she was on stage with thousands of people watching her. Here, she's just working her own counter. And I told her the kind of shirt I needed, and she helped me find a shirt, picked out a shirt, bought a shirt. And I'm like, she just worked retail. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, this is she's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So I just think she um, she was there at this event. I just think she's an incredible role model for for young girls. So I was trying to figure out how to segue that into Batgirl to Oracle, but I really can't see the connection other than, you know, positive. Girl, I, positive role models. Yeah, positive role models for young women. I recognize her from. Oh, did you just Google her? Yeah, that's so Raven when she was on there. Oh, um, she was on. She was on. Oh, she was on a TV show with her where she wasn't just a voice actress. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. Okay, I just know her as a voice actress and the lady who sold me a shirt. <laughs> yes. So that's cool. I didn't know she had done TV. Okay, she's very nice, and she's become a, like a big celebrity in the in the geek world. So, how about you? Did you have a good time in New York? I did. I did some hijinks. You know, Uh-oh. heard, yeah. Yeah, about the you you taking over the comic book store. <laughs> well, hey, you know, there I was, <laughs> just looking at the trade paperbacks, and a customer, and you know, an actual person who works there looking, and the customer saying like, I don't know what it is. It's just it's Ultimate Avengers, and so the actual person working there is, you know, looking through, and then they find it. He says, you know, I don't know what the difference is between Ultimate and regular Avengers and Ultimate oh Avengers. Gosh. And then I turned to them and I was like, they're, uh, they're two different universes. And, and they're like, no, but it says Ultimate Avengers. I'm like, yeah, yeah, one of them is in the Ultimate Universe. And then the regular Avengers are in the 616. And the Ultimate just gives writers freedom to mess with storylines and do what they want. And they're like, oh, okay. But I thought, like, wow, I helped someone out today. And showed my comic book knowledge at the same time. So you should have gone, boom, you just got unicorned. <laughs> unicorned? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know what that means. Well, I mean, the the term unicorn is a, a female comic book reader. 
You've heard that Gra- before, right? No. Oh, come on. That's a terrible name. I don't You've never heard this? Oh, why? Because they don't occur very often? Because they don't exist, supposedly. But oh. they do. But they do. They do? Yeah, it's a, no, it's a, um, <laughs> no, this is a Gail Simone thing. I didn't make this crap up. No, you probably did. You're the one, you, you brought that zany little uh, <sighs> pink fluffy unicorns dancing on rain. Oh that was the reason why I put that in my show last time. I know, because of what I said, yeah. No, it's, uh, I don't know who started it, but, um. I mean, this goes back a few years. This isn't even like new, but I remember Gail Simone even on Twitter being like, "Okay, girls, today's National Unicorn Day. Go out there and read comics in public and make sure people see you and stuff." Like that. <laughs> Apparently, it's it's a term. All right, I'm googling this. Uh, it, it it's refers to because so many people tried to say that co- girls didn't read comics, uh-huh. and they'd say like, "I'm not a unicorn." You know, uh, girls would be like, "I'm not a unicorn. I I read comics." Are women comic book fans as rare as unicorns? See, that's 2011, so that might be when all this stuff got started. I, I don't know. It's just – it's a thing. Made it up. Here we go. I, okay. I have some friends they, uh, who do a site called Girls Gone Geek and they even have a whole thing here. Comic shop unicorn spotting. See? Anyway. Well, I just sent yeah. you a link, by the way, in the chat to a unicorn. Oh, here it is. To a unicorn party. Uh, that actually happened here in my hometown, Tallahassee. Here it is. Festive unicorn party. The name was inspired by a Gail Simone tweet in which she jokingly referred to a conversation between herself and three female writers, artists as a unicorn party. Oh. Simone has addressed her, the subject several times. And she's clearly amused by, that, by the idea of female comic book readers as mythical creatures. <laughs> so I didn't make it up. Okay. I don't think we're as mythical anymore. You know, not at all. It's, it's, it's her mocking that idea. Yeah. It's, it's, I, but I would say a couple of years ago, that, I mean, in 2011, I'd say that's pretty true. No, I would disagree. I, really? Uh, yeah, because I, um, I, mean, I used to manage a comic shop, you know, back in 92 to 96. And yeah, we best had, job you ever had, quoted on Facebook. When did I say that? Oh, it's <laughs> that's you, didn't my I? story. <laughs> you listen to me far too much. <laughs> well, Rob doesn't, so somebody has to. <laughs> You're very kind. By the way. Uh, since you're since you're memorizing my quotes, I'll say something. You'll probably be like, "What was he doing looking at that?" Anyway, I was looking at your pictures, and there you go. There's something creepy. And um, <laughs> on Facebook, you, yeah. Okay. And you have pajama bottoms at San Diego Comic Con. I have a, uh, a a blanket in my office with the exact same pattern. Ooh. Yep. So I saw it. and I'm like, "Oh my god!" Cause, so. Probably because uh, well, Firestorm's not on there. Have of you ever found so. pajamas? No. Will they ever make it? No. Oh, that's sad. He's on like three T-shirts, like featured on three T-shirts, and then you can find him in the background of a, of a few more. Um, but if you want like one that's really cool, you got to like find people that make this shit. Poor Firestorm. Do you have all three T-shirts? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm 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 I'm, I'm all up in that business. Isn't so. he on a button too? Well, they um, there's a company called Zazzle, and what they do is they take like whatever designs a company uploads and then they print everything. You can get an iPhone case with the same design, a button, you can get all you can get a magnet, you can get all these different things. So he's on pretty much anything you want him to be on, but it's all the same design over and over repeated. Wasn't there a series though cuz I have one where it's dark side and it says needs a hug and you know <laughs> <laughs> He looks so sad. That's hysterical. Um, but isn't there one that that's Batman is like antisocial? Don't they have? Have you? Seen oh, it? there's a there's a shirt. There's yeah, a shirt. Yeah, yeah, where it's got a bunch of characters and they're all they're like their psychosis. Yes. Doesn't isn't he on there? Yeah, it just says like hothead. Okay, like I wondered yeah. if that's what it was. 
No, no, I'm just kidding with you. I, I, it's uh, more it's... of like an internal pressure because since you've been so kind to come on my show, and I would consider us friends now, at least you know, good acquaintances. Yeah. I want to support your show and and listen to it. So, so those are the two because you said about Supergirl, and I thought, oh, that should be interesting. And that was an easy one to listen to because I didn't need a lot of back reference of what else you were doing. And then mm-hmm. the Who's Who since it was number one, um, yep. which I may continue with that since it was a number one. You really want to put yourself through that kind of pressure? Maybe. It's hard for – I don't listen to really any podcast because I just don't have a lot of time. But I've been going on walks and so I can listen to like 45 minutes at a time. But You're like a runner and stuff too, right? I Yeah. So walks are – it's like a nice pleasant thing and then I go to the gym and I pump iron. Really? So that's your is that your thing? You're like a big exercise person? <laughs> yeah. I like to, to figure out like what's the next challenge that I can uh, that I can overcome. So the last one was a half marathon. Did I talk to you about that? No. I, I did a half marathon April twenty fifth. It was my first one. So. Oh, is that the, is that your picture of you biting a medal? Is that what that Yes, because okay. it was real gold. Can- no, it wasn't real gold. <laughs> well congratulations. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Thanks. You know, that reminds me when I was listening to your Who's Who, mm-hmm. you are saying Batgirl Oracle, and then you named Tom's name first as if he runs the show, and then you go, um, Stella. I totally paused, didn't I? <laughs> I was like, apparently, our two episodes together meant nothing to him. <laughs> I froze up. I totally froze up. Now, keep in mind, that happens a lot because, you know, it's, we're recording this two-and-a-half-hour show. I'm having to yeah. lead. I'm going to have to remember every single piece of fact and, and tidbit. And then, you know, something like that happens. And, of course, it's somebody that, you know, is a friend. So they're like, well, what the hell? And it's really hard. And a, and a lot of this stuff's on the fly, you know, when we're chatting. I mean, yeah. I, take, I have copious notes. But, I mean, it's like a lot of times it's like like mentioning you, mentioning Tom was off the top of my head. That's just, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. So. But you mentioned Michael Bailey so many times that Holy crap. I feel like you're being, you're, you're getting paid for mentions. <laughs> well, I knew at the end, I, you probably didn't listen to the listener feedback part, but. Um, no, I did. Are you sure you I listened to the whole thing. You are, you really, man, now I know you're an easy mark if I want to put pressure on you about something. Um, <laughs> anyway, he, he actually, they, they did this fire shag who's who entry about me and Bailey wrote it so I knew I was building up to a big sort of thank you to him so I knew I could just knock on him really hard in the beginning so I wonder if someone will ever write like a love ballad to Michael Bailey about all the podcasts he does he totally I'm sure he's got people that would do it Um, I'm astounded at how talented they're like the listeners are out there and they'll contribute like we've got one guy his name's Luke Dobb this guy is the single most talented person I've ever come across in my life. He's an incredible artist. He's a puppeteer. He's a songwriter. He's a singer. He has good hair. I swear to God, like if he could dance, he's just he's just too perfect. And he's written several songs for our show, um, like ones that like will make you cry. Like there's one about Aquaman, and uh, I don't know if you know any of the history about Aquaman, but in in the seventies, his son is murdered by Black Manta, and this song this guy wrote is all about is a father still a father when their son's gone? You know, and it's just like, oh, God. Just puts you in tears and stuff. And it's just, wow, amazingly talented stuff. So I bet if Bailey put a call out there for someone to write him a song, he could find somebody to do it. You need to get someone to write you a Batgirl song. Well, Bubba Moose does okay on her. I loved the Bubba Moose album, (laughs) by the way. I listened to that cover to cover. Now, I didn't even speed it up. I listened to it at normal speed. Oh, wow. Which I don't do for anybody. 
Wow. Uh, so I did that. I listened to normal speed. I was laughing my ass. And the thing with the Latin class at the end, yeah. that was hysterical. <laughs> you hear the, like the kid rapping in the back or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that was so funny. So is that like how long did you guys have to rehearse that? Uh, actually, that's how I go through vocab. Yeah. Each time, except the, uh, like all of a sudden, because it was the end of the year, they wanted to do a beat with it. Oh, okay. So like whatever. That was actually the second take because I had one before, which was fine. But yeah, so. It, it came a, came a, across pretty uh, pretty well, I'd say. I thought it was really cool. I really enjoyed that. Now, some of the songs I didn't understand. Like, <laughs> oh, like, ones. like, who's the chick with the eye patch? Is that like from uh, the back, yeah, there, that Batgirl comic? Oh, or the the monkey song? The, what? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> I, don't, I didn't understand any of it, but I thought it was hysterical. Like. I guess I shouldn't say I, – I understood the words. I understood what you were saying. Yeah. And, you know, I could make sense of the sentence, but I'm like, yeah. I don't know what this is referencing, but this is hilarious. There, yeah, there are secret backstories to those two. And okay. then the, the garbage one. The garbage yeah. one was referencing uh, Richard Stone was, of course. I don't know who that is. But did you listen to episode 100? I did listen to episode 100. Oh, Richard Stonewall is my co-host the second half. Oh, was that all the stuff – was that quotes from him in the second half? Uh, oh, the like where he's saying like you know the dubstep one, the, the one where he's talking about eating gerbils and stuff like that. <laughs> Is that him? Yes, that yes. That Did one. he say that on the show? Because I don't even remember yeah. him saying. Okay. I can't believe you didn't remember here. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. I I I will, I will admit I was multitasking because I was <laughs> okay. putting and it was on one point five speed. Uh, no, that was probably one point two. Oh, but anyway, okay. <laughs> people I like, I play at slower speeds. I don't remember the gerbil thing. I must have missed that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, because it comes up in a comic that these people are raising guinea pigs to eat. Maybe I didn't finish episode 100. Now, wait a minute. I'm, I, swear to, I swear I did. Maybe I fell asleep. Not okay. because of you, but because I did. No, that's okay. Someone else told told me that he puts it on before he goes to bed. No, well, I, no like what happens is I, I sit there at my, my desk out here and in my office. And I'll start working on like blog posts and try and put together a few for the week. Unfortunately, I'm doing it at two in the morning. And next thing I know, I'm sitting, I'm still sitting in my chair, and it's like six a.m. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I fell asleep. What did I do? And so I, I have fallen asleep during many podcasts, but only for that reason. I want, I'm gonna have to go back and re-listen because I don't. Remember, I remember him, and I remember him being fairly funny, and I remember the discussions you guys were talking about different books and what was influ- influences were. Yeah. But I'm gonna have to. Maybe I didn't finish it, or maybe I just lost part of it. Okay, I got to hear that. What comic? Did, who ate it? When were they raising gerbils? What comic was that? It's uh because in convergence, the top, you know, the dome is down, mm-hmm. so they're not getting any of the food is not being shipped in. So in Batgirl, the Batgirl, well, Stephanie Brown and Cass were raising this guinea pig, and they were going to eat it. And then Steph, oh, all of a sudden, God. is like, "We're not going to eat this because I've become attached to this guinea pig." Yeah, I, I have to listen to that again now. And then he said that he wouldn't recommend – Richard said, I wouldn't yeah. recommend eating a guinea pig because there are too many tiny right. bones. Right. I, I heard that in the song. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like some weird garbage man you sampled off of YouTube. <laughs> no, those are all actual clothes. Oh, my gosh. That is so funny. You know what's funny is we both homed in on that shark because I was writing my comment and I wrote it and then I went up and read the rest and that's when I saw your comment also about the shark. Yes. We think too much alike, I guess. Um, which is scary for you. I feel sorry. But
It's always interesting to hear how certain podcasters got hooked up or whatever. Got hooked up? You know what I mean. I don't know if I do. <laughs> well, I was about to talk about you and me, so now now I can't. Now it's awkward. Way to go. It is awkward. <laughs> no, I, I think it's funny. We're sort of a bit of an odd couple in in regards. Like, you familiar with the old odd couple from the 60s? Uh-huh. Okay. Felix so, and... Yep. Oscar. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, you know, we're... Uh, my reputation again for uh, being lecherous, and then you know, you running a show that's very pro, you know, young woman. So it's just sort of funny. <laughs> uh, on your show, you mentioned Slipknot. You didn't mean the band, did you? No, I did not. Are you a fan? No, I just okay. I was walking, and I'm like, and he, you mentioned something about I think Slipknot with I think it was like the skeleton character. Oh yeah, the, the guy was- who's torsos got yes. pieces missing. I don't understand. And so I thought, oh my gosh, I haven't heard the band name Slipknot since I was in middle school. But then you <laughs> mentioned him again. I'm like, oh, I think he's actually a DC Comics character. He is a comics character, and I was in college. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> he's, uh, <laughs> I'm an old man compared to you. He is a redunculous Firestorm villain. Uh, he's, he's, he's a joke. He's this guy who fights with rope. That's all he does. Uh, he has... Uh, you, you missed him somehow in your suicide. Oh, because uh, Babs wasn't part of Suicide Squad yet. That's why was he was in some guy? of the early Suicide Squad issues. And he, he literally he just fights with lassos, special gimmick lassos. Um, oh. It's just it's ridiculous. He, he's like a joke of a villain, and yet he would give Firestorm a run for his money. And like Firestorm, who has pretty much like wish fulfillment powers, is being beaten by you know um, Sheriff Woody with a with a with a with a lasso. <laughs> And it was There's just, a it was snake so in my boot. right? <laughs> and so he became a real big joke. And Suicide Squad even took it to the nth degree, where um, you've probably read in some of the Suicide Squad issues where they have to wear these bracelets, and like the bad guys do. And if they if they get off the mission or run away, the, the bracelet blows up. I don't know if you've come mm-hmm. across that. Okay. Well, he was the first one they ever used in the comic to demonstrate that that's for reals. Um, so Slipknot decided to ditch the mission and runs off and his arm gets blown off. And so there's a lot of jokes about Slipknot being armless. And then he's a butt of some jokes in Identity Crisis. And then a few more jokes. I think he even dies at some point. Oh. And he, he's just a joke of a villain. Well, Rob and I have been picking, been picking on him since day one. In the very first episode, we were talking about Firestorm villains. I'm like, well, everybody except for Slipknot because he's ridiculous. And it just became a running gag. And... It, we try and mention Slipknot every episode at some point, but all of a sudden it's become even funnier now because Slipknot's actually going to be in the Suicide Squad movie, which is... Do you think he'll be like a bit part or is he going to oh, yeah. be a major? Well, he's, okay. Well, he's in all the cast shots right now. Oh, okay. But I'm pretty sure he's going to show up long enough for them to blow him up. Oh, okay. It'll be like, you know, are they serious about killing us if we leave the mission? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess so. so. What if he pops up in uh, that new CW show, the crossover he, he, one? Honestly, he would be a good villain for Green Arrow because, I mean, that's kind of a street-level thing. Mm-hmm. But for a guy who has powers, it doesn't make any sense. These guys, mm-hmm. guys got rope. That's all he's got. He's got a piece of rope. <laughs> yeah, well, so does Wonder Woman. No, she has a magic lasso. Well... It, makes, it makes you. It either compels you to tell the truth or compels you to do her will, depending on whether you're talking about Golden Age or Silver Age. Oh, okay. Such a fine line. I'm glad <laughs> you know your things from Who's Who. I've unfortunately learned a lot. <laughs> I, I thought I knew a lot about the DC Universe until we did this Who's Who show. Now I'm 
literally forced to read every entry and really understand it. So I've learned so much about like the Western characters and the World War II characters I never knew. But yeah. Anyway. Yep. And just for point of reference, I also pronounce it Bell Reeve. Oh, so you're like me. But and we're I both wrong. In small in Smallville, they do Bell Rev, and then I think in in the Justice League animated series is also Bell Rev. Ah, okay. But I like Bell Reeve better. I've been saying Bell Reeve since you were in middle school. Um, <laughs> actually, no, probably earlier than that. Where where were you in eighty uh, seven? Uh, eighty seven. I was probably a zygote. Or, oh, I was what? A zygote? Were you were you even born yet? <laughs> I was born in eighty six. So I was probably crawling around. Oh my god. <laughs> How can I even have a conversation with you? I don't know. <laughs> why do you Why do you want to talk to me? I'm an old man. I'm a dirty old man. <laughs> anyway, so I've been saying Bell Reeve since you were crawling. And uh, today, uh, sure enough, when that episode went out, uh, my buddy who's in um, Canada wrote in, he, who's French-Canadian, and uh, English is actually a second language. He wrote in and pronounced, yep, it sure enough is Bell Rev. So. Can, we, can we trust the Canadian? Um, well, he did live in Texas for a while, which probably makes him even less trustworthy, but he, uh, he, he is French, so I, mean, I kind of have to give it to him. He, he brings the smarts, too. Well, are you ready for this? Kind of. It's weird. It's like I, I, my, my passion for the discussion with you is high. My passion for the issues, not so much. <laughs> well, you're, you're where I am, so it's not like we'll be... Polar opposites. Yeah. So, wh- what 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 are your what are you zeroing in on? I'm curious. What am I zeroing Cause, in? Because you said you're really not happy about these issues. Is it just I just way, have women in think... general or Batgirl, Babs specifically, or what? oh, I think the the stuff that happens with Babs is completely fine with. Um, okay. I, I thought that. I mean, I wondered why she was in DC, but that that comes that becomes clear. It's just the whole Velvet Tiger situation and her and her brother and the ten year old girl thing. It it doesn't make sense. Oh, okay. All right. It's also a little skeevy feeling with a 10-year-old girl all dressed all slutty. It's like, that. Uh, ew, yeah. Uh. yeah. But I guess technically she's lived the... I should save this for the show. Because <laughs> you know I'm going to have to say she's hot. It's my job. I mean, oh, gosh. Well, she, she certainly... I'll agree that she's more attractive than she was in that first costume in Detective Comics 518-519. It's the same costume. It's just a different. No, mask. it is not. All it's right, well, save it for the sh- save it for the show. Save it for the show. <laughs> so you get, so you, have, you just brought the passion. There you go. That's what we need. We need some like you know enthusiasm. I'm waking up. I'm waking up. Okay. Drink your co- drink your caffeine. <laughs> well, I'm gonna start now. There's some. Are you outside? No. Why? What's going on? There's some. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I'm pacing, uh, and, I oh. keep, <laughs> and I keep walking under the ceiling fan. That's okay. I just wondered. I wanted to be sure you were okay. No, I um, I stand. This is either getting edited or your listeners are going to be really bored. But I podcast standing up because. So does doesn't Tom Panarese do that too? He's good. Well, he wrote me asking, saying, "Hey, hey, I hear you podcast standing up. I might need to try that." So that was a little while ago. So maybe he is doing it. I don't know. But I I get I don't sleep a lot because I'm up all night doing this kind of crap. And uh, so I'm always tired. So, and this isn't really crap. I was kidding when I said that. But maybe the comics are. Anyway, so I uh, I don't get a lot of sleep, and and so if I sit down for too long, I'll fall asleep. And it's like 82 degrees here in my my office uh, because it's a converted garage. But anyway, 
Now I feel really bad that it's uh, 12.30. So what? Um, I, I knew what I was getting into. I'm, I'm doing it because I want to hang out with you. Oh. Have you ever fallen asleep on a show? <clears throat> yes. <laughs> was That's it what... your own show? Um, there was one time on my own show. I was actually talking. <laughs> <laughs> How I was is that possible? It was who, I think. Anyway, I'm, I'm talking. I'm recording with Rob. And I'm like, yeah, and this and that, blah, 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 blah. And I'm saying stuff, right? <laughs> and then I stop. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I just fell asleep. And he's like, oh, thank goodness. Because what you were saying made no sense <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> uh, another time, it was um, I was doing a Star Trek episode of the Two True Freaks Network. I was recording with um, Chris Honeywell. We were doing Star Trek uh, First Contact, which I love. But unfortunately, it was another one of these really late-night recordings, and I was sitting down, and it's hot out here and everything, and I dozed off in the middle. Of it. And he's going on. He's got this huge theory and his big, long thing. At the end, he goes, what do you think, Shag? Nothing. He's like, Shag? And then sure enough, you hear... <clears throat> <laughs> it's just like so embarrassing. So that's why I podcast standing up. And I so I keep walking into the ceiling fan and that's what you're hearing. I'm so sorry. I just no, I just wondered. Sometimes some of my friends podcast outside. Like Josh really? has well, Josh has encountered some homeless people. So does he just walk around on his phone or something? Well, I think he was sit he sits in a place with he doesn't do this anymore because he has Wi Fi, but when he he was using other Wi-Fi like Starbucks, but then when Starbucks closes, obviously you you got to sit outside, and then he's sitting outside, and people are coming up to him, talking to him. And oh wow! It's a little scary, you know. Uh, there's a guy named Kyle Benning who does a show called King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun. He podcast. This is great. I love it. This is his shtick. He does comic reviews in his car during his lunch hour. Oh. And he doesn't edit much, so it's very raw. It's very fresh. It's very honest. And what, what I like, though, is it's um, he's in Iowa, and it's like negative four degrees outside. And so he's in his car, and he's like, you know, he's sniffing, and he's clearly cold. And you can you can just see, like, the the, the, the breath coming off of him, you know, in, in your mind. It's so funny. Does he um, use a computer, or is he using his phone the entire time? That's a good question. I don't know. Okay. So, yeah. I wonder if he has any notes, or is he, if he's going off raw memory. I don't. Know. I think he has notes because sometimes you'll hear him turn the pages. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's so funny. It cracks me up because he. I, I mean, he's a, he's a great guy. Very genuine podcast. I like it. I'm like ninety percent sure that this Mike character from Mike's Amazing World does not listen to my show, so I think I'm okay. <laughs> you you sound like you're scared of him almost if he's Oracle esque. He could be well. People bring him up all the time, and I'm like, "There's no one like this who has so much power." Do you, do you know he owns every single DC comic from like 1960 to today? So you said that on your Who's Who, which you forced me to listen to. Notice how much I paid attention. Guilt, guilt. And I thought that was a joke, maybe. Nope. So it's for real. And I believe that includes variant covers and stuff too. And you were saying, you know, he must live in the back cave. Well, that was that was Rob, but yeah, yeah absolutely, oh, yeah. yeah. Thanks for paying attention. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, I, that's a direct quote, basically, that I pulled out. How many just, people can say that? Just for that, now you have to listen to the previous twenty-eight episodes. So, yeah, be nice to him. And for someone who is doing a podcast about Oracle, not trusting the most reliable comic book computer database on the internet, really. What if he's really? a computer, though? What? What if he's a computer? So you're implying he's the calculator rather than Oracle is what you're trying to say. Well, I, I mean, he could be Oracle. I just, I've had no interactions with him. 
Be careful. I have his email address. I'm going to tell him to listen to your show now. Oh, no. Don't do it. I'll bleep out his name. (laughs) (laughs) Then no one will know. Yeah, at that website, Blank's Amazing World of DC Comics. Yeah, he's not going to figure out who you're talking about. It could be Bubbles. Bubbles Amazing World. Bubbles Amazing World of DC Comics. I love Bubbles from the Powerpuff Girls. She's so awesome. Hey, they're redoing Powerpuff Girls. I know. I hope they don't ruin it. I hope they do it right. Do you think they'll use the same voices? I hope they do everything the same. I don't want them to change a single thing. Like I'm, yeah. I, I'm I've made my daughter watch many of them, even though they're like at this point Maybe. ten years old or whatever. Yeah, she's like da 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 da. I mean, it's great, you know. Yeah. Sugar, spice, and everything nice. These were the ingredients chosen to create the perfect little girl. But Professor Utonium accidentally added an extra ingredient to the concoction. Chemical X. Thus, the Powerpuff Girls were born! Using their ultra-superpowers, Blossom, Bubbles, and Buttercup have dedicated their lives to fighting crime and the forces of evil! It's it's uh hopefully the remake will be better than Gem looks. Oh okay, I was trying to figure out what word you just said. Oh Gem, Gem, yeah, yeah. She's truly, truly, truly outrageous. Um, but her movie does not look that way. You're not gonna watch that. <laughs> Depending on the rating, I may have to. My daughter. It's like Josie and the Pussycats ten years ago. My daughter's nine, and she loves the she likes the whole idea of Gem because it's yeah. you know it's it's perfect setup for a nine year old girl. Um, the language in the comics a little further along than I'd like it to be for a nine-year-old girl, but whatever. Hello, Jim, Ooh, Jim. 